Hi, I'm Brad Rex, the former vice president for Disney's Epcot theme park, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Hi there, I'm Lee Cockrell. I'm the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World, and Mickey Mouse was my boss. And you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and lend us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please, secure your hats and glasses, and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your hosts, Andrew Locke. This is Andrew, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast with you today. Today I've got a very special and fun guest. From thrillride.com, Super 78, and last but not least, the Season Pass podcast, I would like to welcome Robert Coker. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It is a real honor and a pleasure to be here. I, uh, very exciting. I love what you guys are doing. And uh, yeah, just happy to be part of it. Awesome. And as I was telling you before we started recording, I'm a huge podcast consumer before I became a podcast uh, creator, as I now am with this, as well as with the Ace Ride With Us podcast. And uh, I, uh, as I was telling you, I've been listening to podcasts for what now over four years. And the very first coaster oriented podcast I started listening to was the season pass with you and Doug and Brands. <laughs> and and uh, I, you know, I love your, you know, I love how you guys, you know, you don't take yourselves too seriously. And, you know, got some good comedy, some good content, great interviews, um, you know, for example, you know, with, with Tony, you know, Imagineering and, you know, done, yeah, done some great work. And of course you guys, I will always thank you guys because I love I love humor. I have a great sense of humor um, for introducing me to Fake Theme Park. Oh, awesome. Oh, right. Because, I mean, yeah. <laughs> easily, yeah, if you're on Twitter and you're not following Jason and Fake Theme Park, you're missing out. That is absolutely yeah. one of the best content providers in the world. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But it's, it's a whole other level when you hear Jason in audio form. Uh, you know, it's Murph and yeah, so I, yeah, so and we're actually well. I, I, I have an idea of how to have Jason on this podcast as Murph, but that's another story. But anyways, but I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. You know, we recently um, had an interview and talked to uh, Doug, and and that's kind of how I came to to, to talk to you here, and uh, we're enjoying awesome. talking to you guys from the season pass, absolutely. So, kind of already let a little bit of the cat out of the bag with the intro and the intro and the discussion here so far, but um, but you know, still to start off with, why don't we kind of round things off? Why don't you tell our audience about yourself and your experience within the theme park industry? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So, as you mentioned, I'm currently working at Super Seventy Eight. Um, we do a lot of media-based attractions, um, but we're not exclusive to that. Um, my title is Senior Show Writer slash Creative Development. Uh, one of the things I like about working at Super 78, though, is that, you know, it's a smaller company. So we all get to wear a lot of hats. We get to 
kind of dip our toes into a lot of different pools and really, you know, learn as much about all aspects of creating themed attractions um, uh, as, as one could. Uh, but uh, the genesis of what got me into this, you know, when I grew up in Southern California, when I was about four and a half years old, took my first trip to Disneyland, uh, rode the Matterhorn for the first time. And I'm like, all right, that's it. Whatever this is, this is what I want to do. Like this, this, this thing here, I want to do this. So as I grew up and went to school and, you know, whatever, and the theme park industry kind of matured um, and it slowly became clear to me like, oh, okay, I could do this thing, which is graphic design and that somehow that would lead me into themed entertainment. And that actually took me in a different path. So I ended up working in advertising and package design and some other kind of design related industries. And uh, at an ad agency I worked at in New York, this is the mid nineties. Uh, one of my coworkers was very involved in this new thing called the World Wide web. And she was like, yeah, I want to kind of get to know more of this. Why don't we do a website together? I'll do the backend programming and you can do the content creation, you know, right? Take pictures, whatever. So I said, well, I know, why don't we just do one on roller coasters? So we put together a little site called roller coaster and you know, it made one of the top 10 of the World Wide web books or something. Now, granted, this was back when there were about 10,000 websites. So it's a very, what year was this 1996, I think 95. You were early on, like even, yeah. it, but just barely graphical based web browsers at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. it was, it was very rudimentary. If you go to archive.org and look at rollercoaster.org way back in the day, I, I think it's still out there in the ether somewhere, but, uh, but anyway, uh, so we did that. It was a lot of fun. And then, a couple of years later, I was sort of thinking, maybe I'd like to learn more about that backend development, like how you build a website. And so that, well, I'll do one on my own and why not maybe expand the scope? So it's not just about roller coasters, but it's about all kinds of rides, flume rides, dark rides, free fall rides, it's just everything. And that was kind of the genesis of Thrill Ride. So I <laughs> did the thrillride.com website that was from like 96, I think I registered that domain. Wow. And um, by 2000, you know, it become fairly well known. And, you know, that was becoming a, a pretty close to a part-time hobby. And I was traveling a lot, and spending a lot of time on it. <clears throat> and then, of course, there was the big dot-com bubble. Uh, we tried with another group to build Thrill Ride into something that would have been more of a full-time kind of avocation. Didn't work out, whatever. That's the way that went. Uh, but in the meantime, that's when I was approached by Barnes and Noble Publishing about doing a book on roller coasters. And initially they asked me if I wanted to edit one. And I said, well, I've kind of got it written already. So if you want to just, <laughs> I can write it, you know, and we're done. So that led to the publication of the roller coasters book. And then uh, when I moved back out to California in 2006, I got an email from some, some, somebody I'd never met before named Doug Barnes. He says, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. I'm up in Northern California. I used to send you rumors about Northern California. It's a thrill ride bubble. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, Doug B, I know you. And he tells me, yeah, I've started this podcast and me and my partner, Brent Young, he owns a little theme park design studio. You know, we talk about theme, themed entertainment. Would you like to be a guest? And of course I'm like, sure, incredible honor. Well, that was the beginning of, you know, a friendship, which I mean, Doug is my brother from another mother. I mean, I just love that man to death. And we just, we become as good friends as friends can be. Uh, so I met Brent through Doug and, you know, again, we clicked right away. The three of us just have a nice kind of rhythm together. So we did some more interviews and, 
you know, a couple of years into it, uh, Doug called me one day and he said, you know what, you were on more episodes last year than Brent was. So you're officially a co-host. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So, and then, you know, in somewhere in that period too, like Brent called me one night, he's like, so what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I'd sure love to work for you someday, but you know, I'd love to get back. At I mean, my dream was always to get into themed entertainment. You know, the life path took me in another direction, but you know, if there's still a chance, you know, what the heck? So he right. sent me a couple little freelance jobs and, you know, we worked together pretty well and had a good time. And um, then by summer of 2013, he called me up and said, look, we're, we're, we're bidding on a big project. I can't hire you full time, but I think I'll have enough work that if your boss would give you a sabbatical, I could, you know, use you for a month or two. So do you think he would be willing to do that? Well, in the back of my head, I'm thinking I will quit either way. I'm going to take this chance, but you know, nice. I, somehow we'll make it work. Anyway, long story short, the delays kept coming and whatever. And so by October, he called me up. He said, look, just quit. We, we'll, we'll find a way to make it work. Just come on down. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, and yeah, just this past October, eight years and counting, uh, celebrated my anniversary there. So, um, and so super 78, you mean? Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yes. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. So eight years, basically. Eight years. Right. Yeah. So nice. I think it's the longest uh, I've ever worked in one job, actually. I just suddenly realized that. <laughs> well, when you're having fun, you know, that's the job that you tend to stay at. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, when you're passionate. Exactly. So. Yeah, nice. exactly. Yeah. Nice. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, and it's been incredible. I mean, the experiences I've had and places I've gotten to go and I mean, it was things I wouldn't have dared to dream I was going to get to do. So it's been really, really great. But uh, anyway, that's that awesome. brings us to today. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. No, thanks for giving that overview. And yeah, on the season pass side, which is how I'm most familiar with you and Doug and so forth, um, you know, you guys were along with Coaster Radio and In the Loop, kind of like the original three theme park or, you know, really more coaster focused podcasts. And of course now there's others and, you know, there's us and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of others out there and a lot of Disney podcasts, of course, mice chat, but uh, you know, season pass certainly was one of the first. And I, you know, if, if not, I, I, I think coaster radio might've started earlier, but it's pretty close. So, sure. but you guys are certainly one of one of the pioneers for sure. So, and we'll certainly be talking, you know, certainly maybe a little bit more about your experience as a podcaster. I know you've met some really interesting people, gone to some interesting places, and we'll probably talk about some of those stories later. But in the, uh, for, and also certainly talk more about Super 78, because there's there's one thing in particular that I'm really looking forward to talking to you about. Uh, and, and when we talk about that later, something that I'm kind of passionate about. But before we get there, we're going to have some fun. And this is kind of how we typically do our interviews. Uh, you know, we don't we don't always interview people that work in the industry like yourself or cover the industry. Um, but in general, with with folks like yourself, we'll have a kind of a two parts interview. The first half of it is just you know taking a break, not talking about your what you do for work, even though that's fun, or the coverage that you do of the theme parks and, and coasters. Is just you know your experience with coasters, for example, or theme parks. But I know you're a coaster guy, so we're going to talk about coasters. And then the second half of the interview, we'll get into some questions that are more specific about. Again, the experience you just alluded to and, and whatnot, either covering the industry or working in it. But sure. uh, but let's start off with yeah, we're gonna start with the basics. We uh, uh, we hop in our uh, in the theme park time machine, if you will, and uh, and I think you might have already alluded to this, but we'll, we'll still get more detail here. Um, was Matterhorn your first coaster? Well, you know, it's funny actually. As in terms of all types of roller coasters, no. The very okay. first roller coaster I rode was the little kitty coaster at the Beverly Kitty Land 
which used to be here oh. in Southern California. If you know where the Beverly Center is on Wilshire. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Whatever. Right. So before that building was built, there was a little Kittyland Park. Um, oh, I used to remember the name of the owner, and I can't at the time. And it was tiny. They had a you know little, um, oh, I can't remember the manufacturer's name, but a little teeny, you know, single oval kitty coaster, a dark yeah. ride, little pony rides, a lot of little circular, you know, kitty rides. And um, a really little kid when I went there. So I'm sure that kitty coaster was probably my first. But as you know, Disney, Waltz, he would go to this park when he was starting to think about Disneyland and talk to the owner and, you know, like, you know, oh. what, what do you do? How does this work? So there's a little connection to Disney history there. Anyway, but the first big boy coaster, definitely the Matterhorn. And, uh, okay. and I remember it clearly because I, we, we went in, I saw the Matterhorn, you know, structure, which is so magnificent. And, you know, from a distance, those little cars, they don't look like they're moving that fast because they're really not. Moving. Right. No, so they're not. Was, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like a little scenic trip through this beautiful mountain. So we got the chain lift. And then when we start taking off, I was just like flabbergasted, laughing and screaming, like, what is going on? And got off. And I'm like, that's the, that's the bomb right there. Yeah. <laughs> and how old were you when you first rode the Matterhorn? About four and a half, four and a five. Oh, wow. Really? Okay, so you're kind of like, you're kind of like me. Now I grew up on the East coast. Now I know you, we talked about earlier, I live in Florida now, but uh, in case it might come up in reference later, because you know, coasters, parks it's all about travel and visiting places and um i've lived all over the country I'm from new jersey lived in new york lived in moved to arizona for school uh lived in southern and northern california for 20 years total uh lived in both of those places twice washington now uh, and then also now here florida as more recently but um you know certainly for me i grew up in the east coast and for me four years old that was me living in new jersey and i would do the typical we would well not just me my parents and i i'm an only child we would do the typical thing, you know, living in the East Coast. We'd go down to Florida for Christmas or for the holidays. I had family down here, typical stuff. And sure. so for me, it wasn't Disneyland, it was Disney World. But my first coaster was at four years old, was Space Mountain. Oh, so, and I remember nice. certain things about it. So, yeah, so it's <laughs> kind of strong. similar, Matterhorn and all that. So, yeah. um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting you brought up too the, the uh, that park near where the Beverly Center is now. Um, I, and I certainly have, you know, I, I'm not read books about Walt, but I've listened to podcasts or watched documentaries about Walt and, you know, fascinating life. And, the, you know, I keep hearing little tidbits. So Walt went here and he was inspired by that for Disney, for Disneyland, or, you know, he went here and he learned this. And, and it's like, it seems like California, Southern California, it's almost like someone should create a map or something, maybe it exists, <laughs> of all the places Walt went to and, and that they, they influenced him, you know, not some sure, oh, yeah. you know, you know, just the whole thing with trains and carousels and yep, just yep, everything. Yep. But uh, that's another little tidbit I hadn't heard before. But okay, so we got your first coaster, is that little kitty coaster, then your first big boy coaster was Matterhorn. Now... Yeah, do you do you keep count of your coasters? Do you know what your coaster count is? You know, I used to, and I, I at some point I kind of just got out of the habit of it, and now I don't. I just I haven't kept. I haven't kept count. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I'm going to guesstimate it's it's above fifteen hundred, but I, that's that's wow. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Because that's I was just curious if you didn't know for sure what your estimate was. Sure. So that's pretty impressive. The it's uh, first people that I know personally, at least that I'm aware of, their coaster counts. Um, you're going to find this interesting. Uh, the, the highest I'm aware of is actually a friend of mine who just hit 1200. Now that's lower than yours, but not much lower, except he is basically, I think Brad is my friend Bradley. He's 22 years old, I believe. 
Wow. So yeah, that's the really impressive part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he had, and he is on a mission. He is very driven. He's really good at planning travel, very mature for his age and booking hotels and cheap airfare and being really, you know, so he's able to figure it all out. He's got back with several other friends of mine uh, from a, like, um, well, not just got back a few months ago. They were over the summer. They went all over Europe for like five or six weeks. Oh, and which, oh yeah, same. Cause there's a bunch of parks they went to that I've not been a few that I have, but any case, so 1500. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of coasters. I'm impressed. Well, you know you what? Might, honestly, yeah. Wait, now that I'm now that we're talking about it, you're telling me about this younger fella. Fifteen hundred, maybe very high. I don't know. I mean, it's it's definitely in four figures, but again, okay, just just stopped. I just stopped a while ago. So over a thousand. Well, again, we're a new podcast, but still, and this not that we keep track of this, but you know, certainly I know the coaster counts of some other guests of ours, and some of them are in the high three figures. You know, for example. Uh, good, good friends of, of personal friends of mine and of the show, Larry and Jean. Uh, Larry's a little behind Jean. They're they're a couple. Uh, they've been riding coasters for over forty years uh, together. By the way, yeah, they they <laughs> oh, rode the beast. Great. They're from Ohio. They rode the beast opening year of '79. Nice and nice. together. And but Jean <laughs> is slightly higher. She started riding before Larry before they met, and she just hit eight hundred. And you're gonna love this eight hundred on Toronto Don Flyers Universal's Islands Adventure. <laughs> the hardest. Right to get on. She was out there yeah. with, her grand, with her grandkids, and, and she let me. One of her grandkids <laughs> let me in quotes to get me on that ride finally. And sure. I'm, I'm, I'm that's my local park, but you never, I never can get on it because I don't have kids. Exactly. So anyway, oh, that's great. So she's there. She's at 800. He's not far behind. Uh, and then it drops off from there. You know, in the hundred, you know, 500 some and four. So you're, I, I'm sure the highest. So that's okay. So kind of getting to the next question. This will be interesting because you've been on so many coasters. So. What would you say of that thousand or whatever number it is of all those coasters you've been on, which is the one that kind of freaked you out or scared you the most? Yeah, that's uh that's going to be hard to answer with one. I will say, so I was at, I, I rode the beast. If it wasn't opening year, it was the year after it was at ACE coaster con two. So oh, that wow. was 79, 80, maybe it was 79. Anyway, I do remember though, you know, I was obviously much younger then, pretty, pretty young teenager. And so excited. Like this is my first big trip. I'd flown on a plane of my own for the first time and never been to Kings Island and, you know, all these other great rides and this just titanically huge new wooden coaster. And we were in the park as a group, you know, the ACE group walking towards the back. And there was that lift hill going into the trees. And for the first time I was like, oh damn, I'm scared. Like this is a big, (laughs) big ride. Like this is serious. Of course, loved it. I mean, it was just so great. Um, but then the the next time I had an experience like that, which is even worse, was riding Top Thrill Dragster at Media Day. I mean, that was, you know, we were sitting on that track and looking at that tower and thinking, you know, in 10 seconds, I'm we're going to be up there, 400 plus feet in this. Like, that was bone chilling. That was truly terrifying. To this day, though, I got to say, the one ride that I've been on multiple times at every time I still get nervous is Accelerator at knots. Really? Yeah. And I don't know if Doug said this, too, because we both agree. Like, the launch isn't, obviously, you're not traveling at the highest speed that you do in Top Thrill or, you know, any of the other, uh, you know, big uh, rocket coasters. But zero to 80 in less than, you know, what is it, two seconds? I mean, it's so intense. And it, I mean... 
we're both white knuckles. Like, oh, here we go, here we go. <laughs> every time. Like it never, it, you know, it just, you think over time you get used to it. And, and maybe if I wrote it every day, it would be fine. But there's always enough of a break that whenever we go back, I'm like, oh God, here we go. I mean, I love it. It's one of my favorite rides, but it's still consistently terrifying. <laughs> Interesting. And, you know, unfortunately, I wish I could relate directly, believe it or not, because, you know, I used to live in Southern California. Um, you know, those, you know, the concept of a white whale, of course. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> so I have a few white whales. Unfortunately, I now have a third one. I think that was added this year, but I, the two white whales I've had traditionally are Accelerator and El Toro. Uh, now, see, two enemy now, coasters. What a cool Exactly. Coaster. What I was just going to say, what well, those both have in common. And Intimate is my favorite, favorite ride manufacturer, favorite coaster manufacturer, because, you know, Intimate is a lot more than coasters. Um, but I, I know that they can be a little bit challenging, um, a little bit iffy, but, uh, yeah, I've been to knots many times. Great adventure was my home park. Of course, growing up, that was before El Toro, but I've been, been there several times since, and it's always closed and accelerator. It was open when I was there for not scary farm with David, Iva and several other friends, uh, back in September, but we were so busy with the houses and yeah. riding ghost rider. Cause even though I've been on ghost rider before, I love ghost rider so much. <laughs> That was higher priority than getting on accelerator, and they were only running a couple trains in accelerator. It was a long wait. Yep. So I will get it to it one of these days. But it does have, look like it has a really nice layout compared to say even Topo Dragster. And I get, I get it. It's it's a, like, more intense in certain ways. Um, sure. I, I while I've not ridden that, I do have one claim I can make that is very unique. I don't know if you've been on this or not. So I've traveled a lot all over the world. Um, I have been on Formula Rosa. Oh no, I have not. Awesome. Yeah, so awesome. that and that's the fastest as far as what it, speed it gets up to. Not necessarily the fastest accelerating, quickest, but quickest. Yeah, quickest, quickest. But uh, yeah, another of course instrument catapult culture coaster. But okay, so the one the one that scared to see now where I thought you were going with this because you're you know live in Southern California is when you're saying accelerate before you said accelerate. I thought okay, it's gonna be X two. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, accelerator. No, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Because a lot me X two is the one that scared me the most, or just the Arrow forties in general. I've been on all three now, but um, you know the same design basically, but just that drop, and you know it's the best drop ever. It's not the fa it's not the steepest, it's not the tallest, but oh, that the drop most where you rotated face down, the uh, intensity of it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. But okay, but accelerator for you. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about accelerator. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about accelerator. Okay, so. Uh, so I guess it was probably a ways back when you first wrote it for the first time, right? Yes. Uh, and I wrote Top Thrill Dragster first. So I'm trying to remember what brought me out here, but it was a while ago, definitely a while back. Oh, okay. So do you remember how you were feeling as you were going through the queue, approaching the station, what was going through your head, given it was scaring you? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, as you know, uh, even if you haven't ridden it, what, what's great about that attraction is, you know, you bored by walking under the ride and you're in the midst of it for most of the yes. queue. So you're hearing the screams and seeing this thing take off like a lightning bolt. And, you know, um, you're well aware of what's coming at all times. Right. And then, of course, when you're standing in the lanes waiting to board and it's just like blink and you miss it. I mean, it's there and then it's gone. <laughs> it's just so... And you, and you, the, the, the speed at which the audio just like their screams and then they're gone. Like, it's like, ah, like that thing. <laughs> so there's so many cues telling you, like, you should be nervous now. Like this is, this is when you start getting scared. Um, 
And certainly, I mean, it's definitely like, you know, it's going to be fun and whatever. But uh, that first time, I guess, is after having done Top Thrill Dragster, I'm like, okay, I know I'm good with these. Like, it's going to be okay. But right. it, it's, a, it's a more gradual trip up to top speed on that thing. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just like, yeah, True. is that thing going to snap my neck? I, I mean, it's, it's so fast. It's so fast. Right. So it was the acceleration that was scaring you. Correct. Correct. The, the severity of the acceleration. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So kind of what I'm translating from what you said there is it sounds like you knew you're going to have fun. Of course, you'd already been a lot of coasters before it, but you know, you knew it and you saw it, you could hear it because you're like, you said, you're out there in the midst of everything that it, it's so fast in the acceleration. You're just kind of, there's a part of you in the back of your mind. that's like, wow, is this going to be too much for me? Is this going to be too intense or something like that? Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So obviously with something like that, you know, once you get on it, you're going to find out and you obviously did find out you're here with us and everything went turned out fine. But, but again, you couldn't know that then that's where anxiety and fear come from, but okay. So you, you went through it, you rode the ride and you survived. And, and so tell me, how did you feel then given how you were thinking originally in the queue and everything, how did you feel once you got off accelerator? Oh, exhilarated. I mean, I was just like, that was a once in a lifetime kind of experience. I mean, it was just super fun, super cool. Couldn't wait to do it again. You know, it's the typical like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere. Let's go again. You know, you're just like, hey, that was the best. You know, being scared under the right circumstances is super fun, you know? So, you know, it's all about that. Yeah, I must say, if I can digress for a second, because I think like my biggest fear was always heights. When I was a kid, sure. going on Ferris wheels, all that kind of stuff, terrifying. And for whatever strange reason, it never bothered me on roller coasters. Like, it was never about the height of the roller coaster. Like, being strapped into a car, I, I always felt safe. And I knew, like, I'm in this vehicle that's going to carry me back to safety. Right. But heights was just too much. And so when we went to, uh, it was one of our big season pass trips, I guess the biggest, the Wheels on I-80 trip, which was seven days of utter joy. It was so great. Nice. But the kind of the linchpin of the trip was going out to Cedar Point where we'd spend most of our time because they just opened Windseeker. You know, the thing. And in the back of my mind, before we were getting, you know, planning the trip or whatever, I'm like, there is absolutely no way I'm going to ride that attraction. I will sit and talk to the people at Cedar Point and congratulate them, but I'm just not going to do it. I'm just, I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. So we get to the park and, you know, and we had a couple of days and the first day was not involved with that. So that was good. And uh, the morning of the second day, we're walking to the park and I'm just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And we're getting closer and closer. And I'm like, well, all right, I guess I'm just going to stand on the side and, you know, whatever. So Doug gets on and he writes. And I know he's not a fan of heights, but he gets up there and he survives and he comes back. And he's like, you know what, man, it's not that bad. It's really not. It's okay. You can do it. And his wife, Shannon, who was also one of my closest friends, she basically grabbed my arm and was like, stop being a bitch, get on with me. So she dragged me on to Windseeker. And I'm like, well, all right, worst case, I have a heart attack and die and it'll be over. So whatever this is, it's not going to, I won't suffer terribly long. So we start to go up and the wheel is spinning and the, you know, the ring is rising and we're about 30 feet up and Doug's like, hey, by the way, it's really windy up there. And I was... <laughs> So like, how dare you? <laughs> but we, you know, we get to the top and the wing or the ring is starting to spin faster and the arms are going out. I'm just like, 
okay. I mean, I'm terrified, but I'm not dead. And then I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. I'm looking over the edge. I spread my arms out. I'm like, this is great. I'm like, I'm loving it. And I t- I'll tell you that cured me in my fear heights right then and there. I got off. I was like, I'm fine. We went and rode Skyhawk. Um, I can get on any Ferris wheel. I can get on any free fall tower now. Like Falcon's Fury is one of my favorite rides. I love them. Yes. I, it was just like instant. And it was that total immersion. Like get right up and let that fear get right in your face. And once you realize it didn't hurt me, then it's not, a, it's nothing to be afraid of. Anymore. It was weird. I've never had that kind of instant, like flipping a light switch. It just went away. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, with the interviews that we do in this podcast, and part of it, we have fun and get into some interesting topics like we'll do with you later. But also we, we're a little bit on the more, if you will, serious side or investigative side in terms of trying to understand how people conquer fear and the implications of that. And one of the, one of the things I've discovered in doing these interviews is I've come up with a theory of facing fear successfully is along the lines of strength training or weight training. Yep. Whereas, of course, the weight training is physical. With fear, it's your mind. It's getting your mind to be okay with these these crazy situations. And I, my theory is that if you go through more and more of them and face bigger and bigger things, or just more and more, you know, situations like these, you know, fast roller coasters, heights, turns, inversions, whatever it may be, uh, and not just with roller coasters. You know, just talked about you know a a a, a swing ride, you know, windseeker. Um, as we do more and more of these things, we're able to better face fear and anxiety in general in life. And I have really been seeing that myself these past uh, past year, really this year. I, I kind of like you with a light switch. It's not that I was like all kinds of fearful at the beginning of this year, but you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not embarrassed to say this. Prior to this year, if I was riding a new roller coaster for the first time for for me for my first time, I generally wouldn't have my hands up. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not holding on necessarily, but I'm just I wouldn't have them up because you're holding sure. them up. It, it's it, that, and I think that's kind of why we as coaster enthusiasts hold our hands up because it's sort of like it's sort of what we do to say, hey, I'm not afraid. I'm not having my hands anywhere near the lap bar, or, you know, the restraint or whatnot. Sure. And yeah, and something switched in me for because I, I wrote a number of new coasters this year, Velocicoaster, hands up. But uh, one of the big ones for me, certainly two of them, actually, I was just talking to a friend about this earlier, was Steel Vengeance was new for me this year oh, for the first nice, time. Nice. And I was hands up the whole time. Uh, <laughs> and then The Voyage. Voyage oh, yeah. I, for oh. the first time ever this year at Hollywood Nights. I'd never been there before, period. And hands up that first ride. And again, love Voyage. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of, I just, I've conquered, I, I guess I've conquered fear and I'm not afraid of speeds and not acceleration or top speed. I mean, I, 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 I have uh, one of my other hobbies is sports cars and I've also ridden sport bikes. So oh, kind of retired from that for safety reasons because of the other drivers on the road. But so I'm, I'm used to speed and acceleration. So those are no big deal. But heights, certainly I was more scared of heights when I was younger. Yeah, that certainly is a very common fear. But I have definitely made a lot of, you know, I don't feel like I'm afraid of heights and Part of it for me too is, is again, all the travel I've done, I love our architecture. I love going up in tall buildings to observation decks. I've been to the observation decks for, I think, what is it, the four or five of the top 10 tallest buildings in the world, like the Burj Khalifa, 
uh, Taipei 101, of course, uh, the, the Freedom Tower in New York and several others, Sears Tower. Um, and so, you know, and I've done like the glass floors, you know, you walk on the glass yeah. floors, um, you know, so I guess they, that, and that, again, that doesn't have to be a ride. That is fear training as well. That's training your sure. mind to not be as scared. So I get what you're saying about Windseeker. Um, you know, maybe part of why I'm not afraid of heights anymore too is, oh God, it was last year during the pandemic. Uh, I rode the Starflyer in Orlando here, here in Florida oh. uh, for the first time. See, and I got to tell you that yeah. one, I'm still like, mm. Maybe not. I don't know about that one. <laughs> okay. So there's still, you still have some notches to, to carve in your belt. Okay. I do. Well, and if you really want to conquer, so um, I should probably have a chat with the folks at Icon Park. We've got a relationship with them, but uh, their website is no longer accurate because some of the verbiage on there, some of it says Orlando's tallest swing ride, but some of it says the world's tallest. And it's not the tallest anymore. The one in Dubai is now 10 feet taller. It's like the King Daka versus Top Bill Dragster thing. <laughs> yeah. Get all over again. And I'm sure it's a fun time. I'm sure it's the same, same, uh, same ride, you know, just 10 feet taller. But, sure. but I've now, I wrote it in the daytime last year, the Star Flyer, that is. And then I wrote it for the first time at night. Um, gosh, with actually with David and Iva, they'd never been on it when they were out here last month in October here in Florida visiting. The three of us wrote it at night. And that was fantastic. And so, and, but yeah. And Falcon's Fury. I love, you mentioned that. I love Falcon's Fury. That's the best drop ride ever. Cause you're facing, I call that the X2 of drop, <laughs> drop rides. Cause you That's rotate forward, <laughs> you know? So I get it. Your fear bites. I, I totally get it. So, so you felt exhilarated after getting off accelerator. Yes, right? absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's two sides to that. One is conquering the fear. It's like, I did it. You know, you feel mm -hmm. good about yourself. Yep. The other is the adrenaline, the endorphin, you know, the adrenaline endorphin, that whole rush, the, the healthy way to get that rush. Yep. Um, with coaster enthusiasts, we are really lucky because we get these chemicals in, in a very healthy, natural <laughs> way where so many people doing drugs and whatnot to get to that. I mean, which is very dangerous. So we are lucky that we can experience these things and, and enjoy ourselves and, and, and again, do things in a healthy way, man. And that's, I think, one of the things that's the key to being a thrill seeker slash, you know, coaster enthusiast and whatnot. So, yep. Um, yep. yep. So, okay. So you felt great getting off accelerator. I would expect no less. <laughs> so so uh, how many years ago would you say that was? Oh, gosh. Uh, 10 years ago? Uh, I mean, it was... Dang it. I try to remember whether I was still living back East or here in California. I think I was, no, I think I'd moved. So it was since 2006. So gosh, now I can't even remember when did Accelerator open? What year was it? Was it early 2000s? I think I don't remember when, but yeah, 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 yeah. Cause the millennium force was 99. Yeah. And, anyway, but it was, it was definitely many, it was a few years after it opened for sure. Okay. So 10, 15 or so. Okay. Okay. There, yeah. So you've had some time since then. So given that you definitely clearly see that one is the one where you had the most fear up to this point, at least, hmm. and you conquered it. So can you, can you think of anything where things changed for you as far as how it impacted your life in any way by, sure. by conquering that fear? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, I think as you were saying earlier, you know, it's, when you, when you conquer fears, not only are you getting over that one fear, but you're learning 
maybe I don't need to be so anxious about everything else I'm anxious about. You know, it's like maybe whatever irrational um, anxiety I'm bringing to this thing, maybe is I'm bringing other things. So I shouldn't necessarily. Um, so it's, uh, again, what you were saying too about like, as you like weight training, you know, you lift a weight, you get pretty comfortable with 10 pounds, you go to 15 and then you do 15, you go to 20. So you sort of gradually work your way through some of these other anxieties. And the more you do, the more you can overcome, you know, going down the road. Um, so I do, I mean, just getting over the fear of heights, like is definitely my other <laughs> big fear um, growing up were those, any kind of tarantula, any big, giant, hairy spider, or Stephen King accurately described them, you know, basketballs with legs, like, <laughs> couldn't stand them. And it was at a point where, like, if, if, when I was a young teenager, if there was a, I remember seeing an ad for a Time Life book on insects and things, and they just had a quick shot of a tarantula walking on the ground. I leapt up and left the room. I mean, I couldn't even wow. watch an image on a TV screen. Much better with them. I've seen them live. I haven't gotten really close, but, you know, I'm gradually, I started watching YouTube videos of people who keep exotic, you know, pets and tarantulas or something. And I'm like, right. yeah, see, they're petting them. They're feeding them. I had one guy had them sitting on his shoulder like a kitten. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So someday I'm hoping I will be able to hold one in my hand. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm like, it's irrational. You know, they're not poisonous. It, like getting a bite is like getting a bee sting. The worst thing right. that can happen is you get a bee sting. That's it. They're not, they're not. And, you know, as many people say, like, you don't bug them, they don't bug you. They don't want to be bothered. Just leave them alone. They're fine. So working towards it. But I know, like, I'm probably going to get over it because I know I got over the fear of it. So, you know, it does give you the confidence to address the other fears in your life. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And it's, I, I definitely can relate to that. Just real quick aside, because you mentioned tarantulas. So a couple of things. So first of all, David, uh, one of his biggest fears is arachnids in general. And again, it's a very common, common fear. I mean, very common. spiders, there's a lot of them, you know, brown recluse and others are wolf spiders are very dangerous. Yep. Plus, they're very freaky looking. I mean, there's been movies about them, you know, the 50s of giant spiders. There's been even eight-legged freaks and some more recent ones. Arachnophobia. I love eight-legged freaks, actually. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're great, great movies. movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of spiders. But, you know, certainly I'm not, I don't love them either. However, you're lucky you're not me, given your reaction. So, you know, of course, going to college, um, oh, you know, Arizona. a lot of times. Oh, no. <laughs> well, well, not that. You know, you're good. No, I lived, in, I lived in the desert in California, too. I've seen some tarantulas in the wild. But, no, that's not actually what I'm getting at uh, is, you know, when we started college, oftentimes we wind up, you know, in the dorms, maybe the first year or two before you find friends and live off-site or live off-campus. So my first year, I was in the dorms and assigned a roommate. Uh, this guy named Jamie, really nice guy. He happened to have a pet, and it was a pet tarantula. Oh, oh man, I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Dorm, dorm captain, I need to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, and I was cool with him. He had him out. I never, I don't think, I don't think he ever had him walk on me or her. You know, who knows the gender? But, um, <laughs> anyways, the spider. Yeah, I mean, he would have him out, and it, it was fine. I was totally fine with it. But again, I get it. A lot of people, it's scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Even even today, I don't know if I could live in, under those circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i totally get it i totally get it uh, crazy. So, so all right very good very good so going beyond you know conquering fear and how it helps you deal with fear and anxiety and other aspects of life which again i totally relate to that um just taking a step back kind of a ten thousand foot level obviously coasters and theme parks are a, you know a huge part of your life you know it's not just your for fun it's for for work and you cover it 
you know, for fun, but for, for a media, you know, for podcasting, but, but can you talk about maybe beyond the obvious low hanging fruit of, yeah, I make a living off of it, but can you talk about any, any ways, which is true, certainly. And that's awesome. But can you talk about any other ways that are, aren't so obvious here that, that coasters and theme parks and have being involved with this so much has had a significant positive impact on your life? Oh, sure. Sure. Well, again, I mean, you know, a lot of my very closest friends all came out of our shared love for theme parks. And again, Doug, who is, uh, you know, he's, he's my, he's, he's a relative by, by, you know, passion rather than blood. And it was all through <laughs> you know, our love for theme parks and roller coasters. Um, you know, it's kind of funny too, as we've gotten to know each other better and time has gone on. I mean, our love for disc golf and beer has almost eclipsed. <laughs> <laughs> the whole coasters and theme parks thing. But um, I mean, again, Brent, you know, my, my career uh, has come out of it meeting you guys. I mean, you know, there's so many incredible new people that I've met um, uh, Chris Godsey and his wife, Natalie, and uh, I'm, I'm errors of omission. I, I, I don't want to exclude anybody, but like in 2013, just a few months before starting work at, um, at uh, super 78, uh, another kind of bucket list thing was to go to Japan. You know, I've always wanted to nice. love Japanese culture. And so I took a, a theme park review, a two week trip through Japan, which was two of the greatest weeks of my entire life. I mean, it nice. had the most amazing time and went to the most amazing parks, got me into Tokyo Disney sea. Um, oh, had, yes. had the best sushi meal of my life in Osaka <laughs> Um, and, and made, you know, lifelong from Australia, from all over the world, Nick Hudson, who, you know, does Nick's ERT. Yeah, I know Nick. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's become an incredibly good friend as well. And, you know, we were working with him. He's composing music for a project we're working on right now. Um, and I, you know, he came out here for a week and we spent a whole week going to theme parks out here. And then I went over to stay with him and his family in London after, you know, the Forbidden Caves open in Belgium. So, and we went to a bunch of parks around, there. I mean, you know, like all these amazing people that I've met, like that all came out of that love for parks and coasters. And that's, you know, that's really what it's about, right? It's about friends. It's about people yes. in our lives. That's, that's, that's the real reason to be here. And that's what we need to focus on. So yeah, by far, I mean, that's the positive impact on my life for sure. I love it. I love it. Definitely can relate. And, you know, I, I'm, and I don't mean to bring up negativity, but I'm just only bringing up a little bit here to contrast. So I'm going to start with that and then and relate back to what you said. So, so you know, there's obviously if social media is like any hobby, this this hobby is on that on you know where I'm going with this problem is on <laughs> social media. You know, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, there's you know you meet friends on there. There's groups there. You know, there's just Twitter, all these different things, and it certainly. I mean, I don't think anyone has been immune to this. I have encountered some negativity. Um, you know, in these various groups and communities and people, sure. and some, some, certainly some. And uh, I would say, first of all, I, I think I've gotten better with certain tactics. I, I have a strong, a very significant, significant, I have a very firm and developed a very firm blocking policy in social media. If someone is negative, you know, bullying yeah. or I'm like, no, goodbye. No time I don't need that. you in my life. I want positivity. So yeah. that certainly helped me. But, but, you know, but even beyond that, um, just as I meet more and more positive people, you know, friends, whether it be even just on social media or eventually we meet or until we meet, or certainly people that I have met in person, both, you know, say locally where I live down here in Florida, or just friends from afar that come to visit, or I go to there to, to where they are, we meet at a park or I go to their home park. I have made so many amazing friends, like you, like you were saying, 
in this hobby in both the theme park coaster realm because those are kind of there's a big union between those yep. but sometimes those are different groups of people absolutely and i and i and i i'm not just a coaster person i'm a theme park person i like dark rides i love water rides i love shows i love the food the immersion i love it all yeah. and so again i i cross both both boundary both the, the boundary there but um, but I've met amazing, amazing people. And, you know, Doug, I, I have not met in person, but Doug and I have been chatting for years. One of the nicest guys I've met that that is, Absolutely. you know, covering the industry. And, and that's how we wound up on the show because I reached out to him very early on when we started the podcast as someone to interview. And he we had a great big conversation with him as we're having with you today. And thankful for that. But yeah, great people. And when I went to Hollywood Nights this year for the first time, first time at Holiday World, yeah, I got on Voyage and Legend and Raven did not get on Thunderbird because it was closed. That's all right. Next year, it's a reason, <laughs> to, go back. Got a reason to go back. The reason yeah. to go back. And the water park was fantastic. Some of the best water coasters I've ever seen in my life. Um, all that. I did all that and you know went on Voyage many times. But I actually, with all that said, across the two nights and days that I was there, I spent more time just socializing. It wasn't like rushing around. We weren't even in yep. line. We would just be hanging around some corner at the picnic pavilion, you know, during the snacks or meals, just seeing friends I have not seen in a long time or never met in person. Or And I love the social aspect of things. And, and the social aspect of this hobby is, at least it can be, and certainly is for me, huge. Huge, 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 huge. Yeah. You know, you go out for meals and you're, you know, just hanging out or yeah, you're stuck in line sometimes for three hours, you know, That's or part of the experience. Down. Sure, it's yeah. part of the experience. So you're going to be talking and, you know, just relating to each other. But the other thing you mentioned, and, and this is a common theme we've seen on the show and the podcast here, and which I love because it's another passion of mine, along with, like I mentioned, sports cars earlier. And of course, coasters and theme parks is another one for me. Another one is travel. And yes, there is union there as well, of course. If you, sure. It's hard to be a coaster enthusiast or theme park enthusiast and not be willing to travel. Um, <laughs> yeah. It'd be kind of limiting. And yeah, I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been very fortunate in that regard because a lot of it's been business travel related. And I'm, yeah. you know, for example, I go to Japan to teach a class for a previous company. And uh, while I'm here, I'm going to Disney Sea. I'm going to Tokyo. <laughs> so I did it. Oh my God, Disney Sea is amazing. Beautiful. The, the most beautiful Disney park in the world. I, I gotta um, say, most yeah. beautiful park. Period. Well, I'll, I'll I'll take a step back. Efteling is the most beautiful, oh, yeah. la naturally landscape park. But in terms yes. of like, let's throw money at theming. Nobody nobody touches Disney. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Efteling is amazing. The landscaping, the, the horticulture they do there, and all the dark rides, the theming. Uh, just yeah, Efteling is amazing. Yeah. I've been there a couple times. Oh yeah, at Disney Sea. I mean, just for me, the clincher for Disney Sea, and it's you see it in a lot of pictures is where journey of center of the earth is you know that the <laughs> volcano and and that's also where they kind of the jules verne area basically yep, yep, it's Prometheus. beautiful yeah, yeah beautiful i'm just i need the detail there but yeah i again i've been lucky to do all the travel and i've got big plans to travel next year and i there's so many places to go that i i as many places i've been to there's yep. so many more, more I've not, and that's exciting so th this hobby is great you know we conquer fear with it we we're able to deal with anxiety better with it we're, you know, getting the endorphins, the adrenaline because of it in a healthy way, which is feels great, helps you deal with stress and so forth. It's social. We can make great friends and, and have friends for life and, you know, travel with our friends or travel to see our friends. And then, of course, the travel itself. I mean, there's a lot of positivity to this hobby uh, if you do it, if you do it right. And uh, so I'm, I was very glad to hear we had to share there so I can relate. So sure, thank sure. you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, my pleasure. And getting back to what you were saying earlier, too, about how like the breadth of the community. So 
two other good friends that we've made, you know, through the podcast. And Doug and, and Shannon met them first. Good friends, Daryl and Deanna. They live in Tampa. Um, you know, I try to get out and see them at least once. Nice. And um, I mean, you know, Daryl is he a totally admitted, you know, social conservative or Republican, whatever. I'm a lefty pinko commie Democrat. <laughs> but you know, we, we we can have we can have calm, rational discussions about, you know, politics or something. Absolutely. And if we don't agree, then we can talk about it. We just bond over the things we do love. And um, Absolutely. I mean, they're just incredibly dear friends of mine. I mean, I just, oh, God. And he turned me on to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Man, I had a nascent <laughs> hockey fan in me that, oh, man, it was great. So, and, you know. Oh, thank yeah, yeah. No, and thank you for mentioning that. By the way, we don't. And 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 again, we're. It's not like you're talking about politics there. But we we don't for obvious reasons because of this day and age. We don't talk about politics in the show as far as you know. You know, oh, this is my opinion about this or that. But you know, certainly behind the scenes, David and I are very close friends. Iva as well, and and Jenna, and you know, all the all the people involved with the podcast, and of course, all the guests. A lot of other our guests are personal friends of ours, or become friends of ours because they've been on the show, which is awesome. And yeah, we know there's all we're all over the political spectrum, absolutely. Yeah. And that's not what matters. What matters is if 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 your difference of opinion, it could be about politics or what kind of milk you like, if you like milk or not, or food. I mean, it could be anything. You know, because now there's oat milk, all these other milks and stuff. I know, but anyway, point being is, is you can have different opinions about things. All that matters is you respect each other's differences Absolutely. and don't let that get in the way. And so I really appreciate you mentioning that because um, that's, that's a huge thing for me as well. Because, yeah, it, it, they, they, you can have challenges with people, especially on social media. And thankfully, you know, I, you know, even though I have lots of friends that don't agree with me that you know some, there are many that do you know at least i have a lot of friends that don't and and we have a great friendship and we can respect each other and that's awesome that's what matters so Absolutely. i appreciate you mentioning that for sure. for sure so yeah so i've obviously been on a lot of coasters so i want to ask you a few more questions about coasters and these will be fun ones for you these will be i think probably simple ones but fun probably some good <laughs> stories and then we'll we'll dive into the second half of the interview so about a thousand or so coasters. So I'm going to guess, I mean, and you know, some of these probably been more than once. So you've had a lot of rides on coasters. So I am very curious. We asked this question, pretty much all our guests, what has been your craziest moment on a coaster? Craziest moment. Yeah. Um, well, it, the one that comes to mind first, and it isn't so much about the ride specifically itself, but the moment I, <laughs> I can't, it's just, it's just like, it's never going to happen again. So I got to ride the Coney Island Cyclone with Monica Lewinsky. And that wow. was a very surreal and very pleasant, wonderful experience. Um, and obviously something I'll just, again, never replicate uh, real quick. So, you know, again, when Thrill Ride was, you know, becoming fairly well-recognized or whatever, this is late nineties. Um, no, no, I'm saying it was 99 because Millennium Force was opening, right? So I got a random phone call one day at home in Brooklyn, pick up my phone, and it's clearly a long distance call. You can hear that international hiss. And a very nice woman who uh, was with British Channel 4 TV introduces herself and said, Yeah, we, you know, we're producing this um, little mini series called Postcards from America. These kind of little short, you know, eight minute segments that are going to run in between other programs. And, you know, we've done all kinds of things on like, you know, interesting food and, you know, fashion and whatever. 
but one of the things we'd like to do is talk about roller coasters because that's very much a part of you know American cultural history. I'm like, oh my gosh, great, I love it. Wow. So you know, and I'm like, how can I help? Like, why are you calling me? This this sounds really neat. She said, well, we're 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 having a little issue finding parks that we can visit, and I'm thinking. There's not a park in the world that I know of that turns down publicity. Like, if you want to come in with a camera, then please, by all means. So she said, well, it's, it's, it's something to do with our host. It's, it's Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> of course, back in the late 90s, you know, that was still kind of a, a sensitive topic, I think, more so right. today. So I said, well, you know what? I, I think I know two people to talk to, and we can try to work something out. So let me, let me make some calls, and I'll get back to you. So I thought, well, what would be kind of neat is, you know, we've got this new world record breaking 300 foot tall roller coaster, first giga coaster, brand new. And then right here in Brooklyn, we've got one of the greatest, oldest roller coasters. You know, right. We can arrange to get them on both. That might be a nice bookend. So at the time, um, real nice fellow who was running uh, uh, PR for Astroland, where the cyclone was. Oh, and I can't remember his name now. He wrote a book, The Roller Coaster Lover's Companion. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. And the poor fellow dropped dead. Um, oh, my gosh. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, shucks. I'm going to hate myself for not remembering. And of course, all my books are packed. So I can't look at my bookshelf. Anyway. Let's see so the I, book. I'll help you here. So I, uh, I know how frustrating it is. The, I'm the Roller the Coaster Lover's Companion. Okay. I'll look it up while you're talking here. Yeah. Ah, oh, dang it. Anyway. When you get to it, you'll, I'll, I'll remember. But uh, let's see. Is it Stephen Stephen Urbanowitz? Stephen Urbanowitz. Yes, there we go. Yes, okay. yes, yes. All right. Anyway, really great guy. Um, but anyway, so he was running PR, and he, you know, he's he was just like a very like, hey, whatever, man. So I told him like, would you guys have a problem with Monica Lewinsky coming out? And they're like, heck no, bring her. Well, definitely, let's do it. <laughs> So then I called Janice Witherow, who was then running PR at Cedar Point, and I said, look, here's, my, here's, my, here's the situation. She said, well, if it were up to me, I would say, absolutely. Let me run it by the park president, and I'll get back to you. So she called me the next day. She said, not only would we be happy to have her, but the park president said he'll, be, he'll walk her around the park. So great. Yes. I'm like, all right, done. So I called back the producers. I said, we're good to go. Um, you can get into Coney, and you can get into Cedar Point. And then, you know, like, work out all the details. She's like, that's great would you like to join us at Cedar or at um, Coney Island since you're in Brooklyn and you're right there? I'm like, uh, okay. So anyway, long story short, I take the subway out, this big black limousine pulls up and a couple of news vans were already there. Somehow we got leaked that she was going to be coming out to, to you know, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we worked it out that we do the interview inside the turnaround of the cyclone so that way the news crews couldn't get in and film and then we'll just get on board and shoot some you know povs on the ride and uh and she was incredibly smart and nice and a great host and we had a blast i mean we had a lot of fun and and awesome. the coded the to the story is after we got through it because you know i told both the people at cedar point you know coney island like we need to keep this under wraps. No other press can be there. It's got to be totally on the DL until after it's done. You can publicize it after, but while we're there live, no press. Right. So I talked to Steve and I'm like, dude, what's up with this news van? He said, I don't know, man. They're, they're, news got out. They just showed up. <laughs> so anyway, we get through the day. Everything's great. The thing, and the thing only aired in the UK. So I never saw a copy. of Okay. It. But years later, Steve and I were just bullshitting over something. And, uh, <laughs> I said something like, yeah, that whole thing with the, uh, you know, the media showing up for money. He said, oh, oh, I of course I called. That was me. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm like, I call the daily news, like I'll see Like I couldn't tell you then, but yeah, heck, we were going to get some more press. So I'm like, bravo, well played. Um, anyway, there you go. That was probably the craziest thing. Oh, and then so a friend of mine calls me a few weeks later. She's like, did I just see you on Entertainment Tonight riding the cyclone with Monica Lewinsky? And I'm like, what? So apparently E.T. did a very quick segment about this Postcards from America show. And I guess they used a two-second clip of the two of us sitting in front oh. wearing my Thrill Ride shirt. It was the only reason anybody recognized me. But they're like, what was, what, what wait, is that Robert? What? <laughs> anyway, it was great. Sorry, <laughs> long story. Sorry. No, I, I, no, that's great. I mean, we, I, mean, I love it because we've never had a story like that. We've had, you know, <laughs> stories about evacs or crazy people on a coaster. <laughs> Um, we, we, yeah, we've had some crazy stories like those. And my personal one is an evac off of a boomerang, but Ooh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, that, it's, that's a fun one. I mean, it was, it was all, it was not luckily it was cause you already, I think you already know where I'm going with this. Cause obviously, you know, coasters really well. It was after they put the retrofit in because yes, it missed the second lift till the, the hook. And so it did not get pulled all the way up. And so yeah. it was, was going to get stuck in the Cobra roll. Right. But because it was after the retrofit, thankfully, it was the Discovery Kingdom where that accident actually had occurred back in, I think it was 99 or 2000, I think 99, oh, wow. Wow. it got yeah. stuck in the Cobra Roll. And then since then, Vekoma installed the uh, the brakes right before the loop. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happened. We got stuck, we stopped before the loop. And yeah, anyway, but that that's my craziest story. But yours is very unique and, and we love getting unique stories. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Sure. No, my pleasure. That's awesome. You know, it's weird. All the years I've ridden rides, I've never had an evac off of any of them really no dark wow. rides no coasters no flume rides nothing it's weird it's really weird i hang out with you it sounds like you're pretty lucky with not having you know challenges with uh, you know mechanical challenges and stuff like that because that's like the, the coaster enthusiast worst nightmare i've you know like i was you know telling you earlier and i live here in orlando and i've been hosting a lot of people a lot of friends visiting from out of town to just they're here just to be on velocicoaster i mean we do other things of course they're here sure, but they're but here to ride the this yeah, and, and it's an intimate. Yeah, we talked about intimates earlier, El Toro <laughs> and, and, and Velocicoaster. I've been on it 65 times now. Wow. And oh, man. Yeah, that's well, impressive. <laughs> Islands Adventure is my favorite park in the world. And it is also, I think, one of the most beautiful parks in the world. Maybe not an Efteling or DC, but pretty close. But it, as far as the lineup, you know, two or three, if you will, maybe even three of the best coasters in the world. Two of the best dark rides in the world, Spider-Man and Forbidden Journey. And then you've got three of the best water rides in the world, you know, Popeye's. WG oh, yeah. rights and certainly Jurassic Park. I mean, it's so stacked with a well-rounded and you know collection of rides and more to come. Agreed. But Agreed. yeah, so uh, but yeah, and Hagrid's and Velocicoaster are such a great one-two punch now. But uh, but yeah, so all the, you know all these friends visiting and um, so again, that's part of why I've written so much. Plus, I'm there all the time. So I love it. <laughs> but uh, but what you know, it's it's not so much that it's gone down for maintenance or, or, or you know a mechanical issue. It's the summertime in Orlando, you know, lightning strike capital world, yeah, all the tropical yeah. weather. It's the yeah. weather issues. And so there's some of us that have been, you know, let's get a night ride on it too. We've already ridden it earlier in the day a few times or whatnot. And then, you know, in the evening, you know, six, seven o'clock, that's when the storms come in a lot. Even some <laughs> of the day rides, you know, we've just had some weather issues. And there are a couple people, Larry and Gene, that have had really bad luck and they've caused, caused a lot of rides to be missed. I'm making a joke, but Larry and Larry and Gene, friends of the show I mentioned earlier, they seem to 
have some bad luck and you know and they're actually coming this week this weekend so hopefully we'll have better luck but when they're around <laughs> velocicoaster has weather issues or downtime or something but sure, sure. Any, anyways but you know well, yeah, to be, i'm sorry i mean yeah. to be fair i just want to say i mean i i've certainly i mean i've experienced tons of times like you wait three hours right. the ride breaks down but i've never right. actually been on the attraction been on the ride right yeah. right 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 fair enough fair enough yeah i, I realized as i was talking about that you probably have experienced that but you know, at least not experiencing the evacs. Now, of course, on the other hand, you know, and I would I would put myself in this camp in a way you've not been lucky because evacs are unique. You know, imagine, for example, getting evac off of a lift hill or the top of a lift hill, like, you know, exactly. high up yeah. on Millennium Force. Or I, I've had friends that have had things like that. <laughs> like, oh, my God, that'd be amazing. You know, again, not being afraid of heights and being able to see that or get, maybe get your phone out and take some pictures or whatnot. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps if that's safe. But, you know, anyway, so, yeah. So, but it's it's unique that you haven't had one of those. It's interesting. So, yeah. Weird, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so what would you say of all the coasters you've been on, a lot of them, is your favorite? Yeah, that's also very hard to say because, you know, I think a lot of people would say it's, oh, my favorite coaster is the one I'm riding. You know, there's so many good ones out there. And, um, my sentimental favorite is Disneyland Space Mountain. It is just, nice. it's such a great ride. And, you know, when they added, I mean, it was a fun ride originally. The Dick Dale Surf Rock soundtrack is phenomenal. I love it. Yes. But the, but the Michael Giacchino or Giacchino or however his name is pronounced, that score, it's just magnificent. It's so great. And, uh, you know, I'm, as you know, on uh, one of our recent Tony Baxter interviews with season pass, when Tom Morris was a guest or he was with us there. Yes. And we were just having this like casual conversation. He just brings up, like, oh, yeah. So when, you know, when I figured out how to get put music on Space Mountain, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Back. Yes. Up. You did that. You came up. I was like, yeah, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for music on rides in general, but music on yes. roller coasters, especially when it can be done. Uh, it just like adding that emotional context to all the movement in the ride and, you know, being indoors with the stars going by. And when he explained too how they had to build in these moments in the musical score where they could shorten or lengthen it. Yes. Because the weight of the train is going to have some variability and a ride can be 20 seconds shorter or longer depending and right. i'm like oh yeah some of those like breaks where there's a long drum riff or something like that can be compressed or expanded like they're geniuses anyway right so space mountain i mean every time when we come over that lift hill that third one and the music kicks in i'm like oh it just i, I get tears in my eyes sometimes it's just like so great but i mean the first time i rode rock and roller coaster when the sound was just like I mean, my body was inside the sound. Oh, so great. So great. Um, I mean, uh, X2 is, you know, the 4D coasters. When you get that perfect ride, when it's just right and there's no head banging and everything, one of my favorite rides in the world. But you never know. I mean, sometimes, I mean, right. unless you're riding yeah. the Sweet Seed and Magic Mountain. Like when we went to Japan, I rode Ekajaneka at Fuji. Yes. Yes. Got, yes. Everybody was like, oh, it's worse than X2. You're going to hate uh -uh. it perfect rides yep. and i rode in the inside row and the outside row it was perfect yeah i've had really good rides on it too the couple times i read it yeah but you um, never know you yeah never know. so anyway yeah, yeah no no thank you no i like that that's a very unique answer but it makes sense and because you said to kind of bring the emotion and music is a very important part of the human the human experience you know music drives us many of us certainly myself i love music 
Um, and you mentioned X2. X2 has that soundtrack. The other two don't. Donaconda and Ijanaika, they don't. So uh, now, you know, I remember listening to that episode. You're talking about the interview with Tony and, and Tom. And hearing about that, I was having a whoa moment because I'm an engineer. I love knowing how things oh, work. Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, it's not why I love coasters or theme park rides, but it's it gives me an extra kind of interest and enjoyment. I'll give you an example. First time I ever rode Forbidden Journey, which was the one in Hollywood because I was living in California. You know, at the time I had not been in Orlando in a number of years. And the first time I wrote it, I was just I was so overwhelmed, like in good way, because I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't watched POVs. I didn't research it on purpose. I like being surprised that yeah. first time. There's no ride like that first ride you get on a coaster or on a ride like that. And so the first time I wrote it, and then wrote it again, and the next time I wrote it, I got one of the end seats and I'm looking to the left and right. I'm like, oh, there's the oh kook. And I started research researching RoboCoaster and 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 then and one thing led to another. And you know, so yeah, so I love how seeing how things work. But yeah, hearing, you know, about how they have the different versions where they can shorten it or lengthen it, absolutely brilliant. Because it makes sense because the weight is gonna be variable for the trains, different people, and you know, the, the also the track can be warmed up, you know, later in the yeah. day where yeah. it, 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 the wheels more quickly. Cool in the morning. Yeah, yeah, friction and all that. So it's all these variables. So that's brilliant. So do, do you know, and I don't know how to pronounce his name either, and I'm and I feel embarrassed about this because I'm a huge soundtrack fan and I know Michael Giacchino or how you pronounce his name, he did a great Jurassic World series because John Williams oh, yeah. kind of retired from that. I need a great job with that. But do you know when was his soundtrack implemented in Space Mountain? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I want to say the Dick Dale score was in the mid 90s. And then when they did the big rebuilds in the early 2000s, and they yeah, retracked the 50 at the Disneyland. Yeah, that sounds about right, maybe. Does that bring it Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because they that they, re, they totally replaced the arrow track. I think actually Vacoma did yep. the replacement, as I recall. And that, they did a great job with it. And then yeah, the soundtrack was updated. Yeah, I think you're right, 2005. And, and uh, are you a Star Wars fan? Do you like oh, the, yeah. when they do? Yeah, I love when they do that overlay. Hyperspace Mountain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Hyperspace always. Mountain. Because yeah. again, that John Williams score, like who doesn't love that? You know, and there's oh, like right. X wings coming at you. Oh, God, oh it's great. fantastic. I mean, yeah, even even the yeah. um the Halloween, the Ghost Galaxy overlay. Ghost Galaxy is fun. Yep. Oh, yep. It's, it's yep. scary. Like there's a couple of jump scares in there. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is unusual for Disney, absolutely. Very much. And so. I, yeah. Yeah. And I love Disneyland Space Mountain for, for different reasons. I also love the one here in Florida, granted. It's definitely getting long in the tooth because Disneyland, as we just talked about, was replaced in 2005. Whereas, you know, the one here at Disney World's been there since the 70s. It's still the original track. It's getting a little rough. Yep. Even though it's indoors, it's not been subjected to the weather like the Matterhorn, which it's is even older. Yeah. But, and my hope is that it's inevitable because, you know, Space Mountain, they're never getting rid of Space Mountain. They'll, they'll you oh. know, replace the track, but they'll ne it's like, too iconic, you know, just like Small World would never go away. So my hope is that, you know, I don't know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whenever it is, that that Disney World, they'll replace the track and they'll add on board audio. Yeah, I, I yeah. hope that they will do that. Um, the, 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 um, the one disappointment, the only disappointment I have with Velocicoaster is they don't have onboard audio on it. Yeah, and I was talking to one of my one of my good coaster buddies and friends here in Florida, his name is Austin. He's been on the show here. Um, I don't know if you, if you follow Amusement Insider on Twitter, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I watched he's the, the he's channel. the guy yeah. behind a, a amusement entire. I mean, and he's the one that does all the concept POVs. He did the one for Jurassic uh, World for oh, Velocicoaster. Yeah. And oh, and that- he's very very talented. He's a good friend of mine sure. here in Orlando. Amazing, very talented. And he, like me, you know, is a coaster enthusiast through and through that appreciates theming. And, you know, he's very technical, too. So his review of Velocicoaster after writing it was very technical. And, nice. and I agree with him. You know, one of the few things that's missing from it is onboard audio. Because, you know, the theme, it's just like Star Wars, like, you know, Hyperspace Mountain. The Jurassic Park or Jurassic World theme, the main theme, is iconic. It's and it's so majestic. Much yeah. Yep, yep, and yep. They, could, they could adapt it. You know, I think my favorite, so given that Jurassic World you know, Velocicoaster does not have onboard audio. My favorite coaster audio-wise, and I'm so excited for, well, now it's probably two years from now, is I have been to every Disney park on the planet. I've been, again, oh, nice. very lucky with all the travel I've done. Awesome. Very lucky. Very, I'm very thankful and never take that for granted. Uh, in 2019, I went to Shanghai Disney. Yeah. That was my yeah, final conquest. Yeah. So have you been on Tron? I have. Oh. That onboard audio with that ride. Oh, that Daft Punk score. Are you yeah. are you I love Daft Punk me? to begin with? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Their Tron Legacy soundtrack is legend. I and love putting that on a coaster and then being a sport bike fan myself and riding forward oh, like that. Totally. Yep. Yep. yep so yes, yeah, so you've been on it, of course, thousand coasters. Of course you've been on it. I've been lucky to be on it. And I tell my friends either here in Florida, especially here in Florida, but even David in California said, You guys have no idea how lucky we all are <laughs> to be getting that here at Magic Kingdom. Florida. Yeah. Because yeah. that ride is, it, it's not an, it doesn't invert. It's not a super long ride, but for what it is, it is oh, so incredible. So that yeah. launch is fantastic. And, but yep. that music, yeah. So you, you made me think of the music. So I totally get, because the emotion aspect of music with a coaster or, or a ride in general is huge absolutely, it's absolutely huge absolutely. and can i, I, can I, I oh, yeah sorry. yeah sure sure no no I, i'm cutting you off go please finish your thought oh i was just going to say i think something we're going to be getting to here in a, in a little bit with kind of the second half of the interview or the kind of last third of the interview i think emotion and, and music perhaps i think is going to be a part of that too an important part but we'll get to that later but sure, i'm sorry you're going to sure. say something yeah. yeah i just want to tell another quick little anecdote about Shanghai. Sure. so we got to go when it was still in preview mode. We were working with one of our uh, Chinese uh, park clients and the woman who was our kind of liaison and she and her husband also run like an AV integration company that works with Disney and a lot of other parks. Okay. So we're getting ready to go over and she's like, oh, you know, so I do have some preview tickets. I'm not sure though if I can get you in. And Brent and I were like, oh, you're going to find a way. Like <laughs> if we're going to Shanghai, you're getting us in. So sure enough, she did. So you know, we do a lot of flying theaters. So our first priority was getting on Soaring Over the Horizon. So we go in the park and make that right turn and head over to the Adventure Isle section. And it was a two-hour wait, you know, so it was a long wait. We get on the ride we got, and we start making our way counterclockwise around the park. Of course, by the time we get to Pirates of the, you know, Battle for the Sunken Treasure. Battle for the Sunken Treasure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which and we rode that a couple of times. And, you know, now it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm looking over at Tron like, okay, let's go. So by the time we got over there, there's nobody in the line and there's one host standing there. We're like, oh no. Oh. And we walk up to him and we're like, you know, in sign like, like is it open? He's like, mm, nope, closed. Oh. Like, and, and do we know when? Like I'm pointing at my watch. He's like, I, I don't know. I'm like, oh. 
I'm telling you, I'm a grown man. I almost started to cry. Oh, I understand. Yeah. I'm here. When yeah. am I going to be back here? Like, what an opportunity. Like, damn it. But you know what? Hey, it's a privilege to be here. Grow up. It's fine. So let's right. go ride Buzz Light. So we get on Buzz Lightyear. We ride that. We get off. There's like six or seven of us. So as Brent and I are walking up Buzz, we see the queue opening up. And I'm telling you, we oh. broke into a full-on run. I mean, we're like, Go! We ran in. There was nobody in the building. We walked through the queue. We did that incredible pre-show moment. You know, I, I don't want to say much about it because I don't know. Right, 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 like, right. Oh, the pre-show was great though. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And then we get on. There's nobody. We get on the front, go, came back into the station, ran all the way around again, got on the back seat and went again. In 10 minutes, we rode twice. Nice. That'll never happen again. I mean, it was the coaster gods were like, here, here, here you go. This is it. This is one time. <laughs> You better be grateful because that's never happened again. It was amazing. But to your point, the music, it, it, amazing, so well synchronized. And the, the positioning, the media design in there. Oh, oh yeah. The God. visuals. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep. Yep. Oh, great. Yep. And to, and the way to put it is if you were to take Velocicoaster, and I realize that you've not been on Velocicoaster yet, nope. right? Nope. Okay. Fine. If you were to take Velocicoaster, no Lagoon, no you know, because there, there are some little show scenes and of course the rock work that there's dinosaurs, you know, you know, that, that make sounds. They're not animatronics on the ride itself. If you were to take all that away or even take the animatronics that are in the queue, take it all away and just have that as a Six Flags parking lot coaster, it would still be a great ride. It would still sure. be a great ride. No doubt. Now, Tron, <laughs> if you were to take all the theming away, the launch is great, but if we were to be a parking lot coaster, it would be meh. It, be I think it would really be meh. The Same theming with the really... Yeah, yeah. But the theming adds a lot to Tron. Now, I got lucky myself. Now, you got lucky in your own way, you know, because it was it was closed and you're end of the day. And so I went to Shanghai Disney across two days. The, my first day of my trip and my very last day. I was there for two oh, weeks nice. total. Nice. I was there for work and doing other things. Did, did a whole bunch of other parks. It's when I went, rode China, uh, uh, Donaconda, China Dinosaurs Park. Yeah, I got yeah. on Soaring the Dragon and Battle of Jungle King. I got on some legendary coasters. Ooh, oh, the battle, that's the tilt coaster. Yeah, nice. the, 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 the dueling tilt. Yeah, yeah. But Soaring the Dragon was my favorite there. Again, I'm an intimate guy. Yeah. But yeah, very interesting coasters. But uh, but I went to Shanghai Disney twice. It was in March of 2019. And it's an off-season. Park was dead. Oh, I was perfect. marathoning. I was lapping. <laughs> five, <laughs> ten minutes awesome. away. I think I wrote <sighs> it maybe 15, 20 times when I was there oh. between the two days. Oh, exactly. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. But yeah, so all of these superlatives and fun things, just a little bit, we don't like to focus on negativity, but... I just to contrast, what would you say is your least favorite coaster? Like one that like you just, oh my God, you don't like. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it seems so unfair because everybody dumps on it. But the first ride that always comes to mind is Grizzly. <laughs> Great America up in Northern California. Yeah. It's yeah. just so, I mean, I rode, so I rode Son of Beast when it had the loop and I didn't hate it. The first time I wrote Son of Beast, I thought it was pretty awesome. Same. I gotta be honest. Same. I liked it. I hope you were opening year. Yeah. It was yeah. intense, but it was yeah. super cool. Those big spirals and the loop was so smooth. I'm like, this is great. Yep. yep. Then, um, and one of our later season pass trips, we went back and we were at Kings Island and it was after they'd taken out the loop and we we're like, eh, it's right here. Let's ride it. That was the most painful, unpleasant ride. Yeah. It was horrible. So, I guess in terms of a, a ride, I mean, Son of Beast is probably the one I'd say, well, that was the one that most deserved to be burned to the ground. 
Um, yeah. But it's not operating anymore. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really do honestly like, as long as they don't hurt me, I love all rides. Right. I mean, really, it's just don't hurt me. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not much of an ask. But yeah, and I've certainly, you know, being a coaster enthusiast, you know, like yourself, ridden so many rides. I've ridden a number of coasters. I have one of them here at my home park, Rip Ride Rocket, that, yeah, it's, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rip Ride Rocket is not aging well. It's, it's a oh, mower, so there's some, there's, some, yeah. there's some issues with it to begin with. But, you know, it's not a, it's not, it was a pre-Potter attraction. And I'm sure Universal is going to replace it eventually. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I love wooden coasters. Absolutely love. Oh, I don't yeah. keep, I keep track of my top 10. And it's a rolling top 10. Obviously, things move in and out. I don't keep track beyond that. Sure. But I don't keep steel and wood separate. I don't go crazy like that. And there are uh, two wooden coasters, and I'm not talking about hybrids, not them RMCs. There are two wooden coasters in my top 10. Um, Voyage is my top wooden coaster. It's like number three, I think. And then I have Ghost Rider on there. And I love wooden coasters, love wooden coasters. And I ride wooden coasters well because you know some people they don't ride them well there's a technique you're right you're right there's a technique there's a relax you have to be relaxed yes you know and you just kind of you have to go with it relaxation is the key because people well some people get tense on a wooden coaster and that's the worst thing you can do and i ride them well like voyage like you know not to call out david in the background there but you know david david's a little younger than me david did not last as long as i did on voyage i could have kept going on voyage he was done after the first couple rides because it was new to him this year as well but um but yeah i mean voyage is one of the most intense wooden coasters out there that's why i've got to get on el toro hopefully next year i'm going to go back to great adventure it better be open or otherwise (laughs) anyway you're gonna ride a harshly worded letter (laughs) yeah yeah right right not really but yeah right but but yeah i mean wooden coasters you know they're i love them and i ride some of the most intense ones and love them and i'll ride them over and over again um but there's a fine line between a intense wooden coaster and a rough wooden coaster yep. and yeah it can suck to be on a rough steel coaster but a rough wooden coaster is the worst that can be bad news yeah and so you mentioned grizzly and yeah i, I california's great america used to be my home park I used to live in bay area as well as sure. i mentioned earlier and i actually just was there and i did not ride grizzly on because of this because you know i know how bad it is and i we all know what's supposed to happen there it you know that park is not a top tier cedar fair park it's kind of a mid to lower tier so the budget is limited but we know budget aside that needs to be arm seed and will probably eventually get arm seed as long as it's, it's still good enough at shape yep for it to be arm seed it's just inevitable same thing with the hurler at carowinds that's probably going to happen first because carowinds is a top tier Cedar Fair Park, I'm like Great America. But yeah, so I, I totally get it. You know, Son of Beast, that was before RMC, you know, so that went away. And God, you know, could you so, imagine yeah. what they could have done with that? Oh, oh right. yeah, <laughs> I, I thought about that. And actually, what I wonder, I think it might have been, I think RMC existed when, when Son of Beast was taken out, but it was very early on. And it was, so it might have been just didn't line up well. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a good, anyway, long story short, good answer on, you know, on Grizzly and, and Son of Beast, especially later Son of Beast. So thank you. You know, bad wooden coasters, those can be really bad. <laughs> so, so for the last few questions here, kind of the last third of the interview, and been, I've been looking forward to the whole interview because, you, you know, just listening to season pass, you know, you're one of the more animated podcasters out there. You're <laughs> kind of positive energy and full, full of full of life. And so I was looking for, and again, it's been a great interview so far, exactly what I expected. So yeah, absolutely. So but these last few questions, though, I'm, I'm uh, Last couple of questions, especially here in these next couple of questions, I should say. I'm looking forward to talking to you about here. So 
we're going to go go in the, the theme park time machine again. So, in you were talking about getting those preview tickets to Shanghai Disney and how amazing that is. Now, I have a story like that, nowhere near as amazing, but it relates to my next question. So, I'm going to bring it up. So, in March of 2001, uh, that was the first time I was living in Southern California. And I lived there again from 2013 to 2018 and then moved to Florida. But the first time I was, you know, in 2001, that was my first time living in San Diego. And a friend of mine there, another coaster enthusiast, he had invited me. Now, just to give you a quick background, I had not ever been to Disneyland at this point. Never. I'd been to Disney World, but not Disneyland. Sure. He got preview tickets because he himself was a annual pass holder for Disneyland. He got preview tickets for California Adventure. Oh, right, right. So, and I didn't even know they were building it. It was just kind of a, I mean, I was a coaster enthusiast back then. I was more of a Magic Mountain person or, you know, I wasn't even really paying attention to Disneyland. I, I went through this point in my life from the, from the nineties, basically the decade of the nineties, you know, and that was when I was in college and, and all that, where I was like too old for Disney. I, I uh, felt like I yep, grew yep, up. Yep. I went back. I eventually found Disney again around the same time period, actually. And then I, I went, became a Disneyland pass holder. But anyways, went to, with my friend, he was gracious enough to invite me to the uh, preview of California Adventure. And again, I did, you know, this is before YouTube, I wouldn't have looked at anything anyway. I had no idea. I was like, oh, wow, a new park? And, oh, really? I didn't know about this. California? Okay, all right. And I just, you know, blown away, you know, your California, uh, screaming, you know, great intimate coaster. And I was like, what? Oh, it's a wooden coaster? Is it a steel coaster? And, you know, makes it look like a wooden coaster, you know, with a loop. And, yeah. and then, you know, and, you know, even, even things that are panned from OG DCA 1.0, like Golden Dreams. I, I love inspirational movies and, 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 you know, movies that make you feel good, you know, even, you know, feature length fictional movies or documentaries. I, I love Golden Dreams. I thought it was very uplifting and very mm. appropriate for California. You know, Grizzly River Run, one of the best rapids right oh, in the world, all yeah. these things, experiencing these for the first time. And we didn't care. It was cold. It was March. It was like, this is a brand new park. We're riding everything. You know, we did everything. <laughs> you know, even even uh, Mulholland Madness, it was his first call back then, which is uh, iffy wild mouse. But all that said, probably one of the most unique attractions I rode in that, you know where I'm going with this. With <laughs> yeah, that, I'm waiting for preview. it. You know where I'm going with this. Starts with, with S. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. And I had no idea because, again, it's an inside ride, you know, was soaring, soaring over California. And I was, you know, I, again, going through the whole thing with Patrick Warburton. What is he talking about? We're, we're going to be up in the air. What, what is this? Yeah. And, and, you know, we get on the ride. It's like, oh, we're on the ground. What? Just the whole thing was like, what the heck just happened here? Now, that was in 2001. And, you know, dynamic, dynamic attractions in Disney, what they put together with that, with that ride, you know, 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago, is incredible. Yep. And since then, I, I've written, you know, um, you know, I think it was at Legoland, uh, you know, a, a flying theater is okay. You know, some other things, but nothing ever really eclipsed or met what soaring was. And I've written soaring, of course, in Disneyland, here at Disney World Epcot, the one we talked about earlier at Shanghai Disney. They're all based on the same ride system, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, besides those that are the same, I had never written anything anything like anything as good as soaring but that all changed in 2017 
Because so I used to travel a lot. I don't travel as much now for work, but I, a lot of years, many years, traveled a lot for work. And back then, in 2017, the job I had was traveling all over the U.S. And we'd go up to Washington. Yeah. Uh, I used to live in Seattle, but this is long before what we're about to talk about was uh, was built. But I uh, was up in Washington, and thanks to the Season Pass podcast, uh, there was a whole episode dedicated to a new attraction that was built in Seattle. <laughs> and when I heard you guys talk about it, and of course, there's a little bit of, of it's not just season pass. There's obviously much more closer to home, which we'll get to here <laughs> for you and for Brent. But when I heard about this, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, I'm going to have to check. Oh, so anyway, so when I went up to Seattle the next time for work, I went down to the waterfront there and got on this attraction called Wings Over Washington. <laughs> and and I'm not seeing this. I know, you know, you know, you know, Robert, you're probably thinking, oh, well. Really, he likes this better than Soren. And da, 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 da. <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, you, I walk in this theater, and again, it's much smaller, much smaller capacity than Soren. Yep. And it's got you know the three, I think three rows, and they're all level with each other. And you sit down, and there's no overhead apparatus or anything. You're just, and then those they lift up in the air, and the movement that you feel on that ride is incredible. And the ride film and how it's synchronized. The, it's beautiful. It seemed like also a pretty lengthy ride. I mean that in a good way. It seems like sure. it's longer than, than Soren. I don't know what the ride length is. I haven't looked that up. But but I, you know, call me crazy, whatnot, but I was blown away by how good Wings Over Washington was. Wow. And thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I will say, um, because I, correct me if I'm wrong here, the ride system was done by dynamic attractions, right? Correct mechanics right yep. and they they're the experts with it they invented flying theaters with disney 20 years ago yep. they did they just put one in in pigeon forge yep this year and i i went there i went to pigeon forge for the first time believe it or not never been to dollywood before oh, nice nice yeah went out to tennessee did a road trip a lover trips uh, back in late september had the time of my life all the mountain coasters went to dollywood for two days nice. and i i yeah it was awesome i look forward to going back there because i did not get on lightning rod Thank you, yeah. RMC. <laughs> Another white whale. Time. Yeah. Another. That's my. That's the third white whale I wrote, wrote it earlier. But I did get on. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Skyfly. Or- Skyfly. Sky I think it is the uh, over America, and it's, it's going all over America. It's you know very patriotic. It's wonderful, and it's the same ride system. But I don't know. Maybe because I lived in Washington, or I don't know what it is. I like Wings of Washington better. They're both fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but. Anyway, with all that lead in and so forth, so we are talking about Wings Over Washington, which again was a dynamic attractions. Mechan- you know, they did the mechanics of the ride, uh, kind of reinventing the flying theater. Mm-hmm. But Su- Super Seventy Eight, your team was involved with the, I believe, the ride film and so forth. So, so talk about how you guys working with Dynamic or any other contractors that were involved with Wings Over Washington, how you were able to improve on the flying theater concept. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Those are very humbling words to hear. Um, yeah, we are very proud of that attraction. Um, it, you know, it, it became what it became because of a lot of good things that all came together in, in, a, in a way that probably will, again, never happen again. It's, um, I mean, number one, so dynamic, obviously, they know flying theater, uh, you know, motion bases better than anybody. And because the system they developed with Disney for the Soren rides, they had to come up with another another kind of ride system because that was patented and known by Disney. So right, 
So what are their solution? One of the solutions is this rotating platform. And one of the things we love so much about that is, and, and, and again, Soren is one of my favorite rides in the world. And everybody, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like every time I take somebody on it, I don't care if they're 10 years old, 100 years old, culturally where they're from, they all get it. They're like, that was a blast. Like it's yep. the, 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 the feeling, the sensation of that gliding through the air. It's a primal need. Like we all. It, pr- it produces that. emotion. It produces yeah, it's, amazing, it's just, awe-inspiring emotion. Exactly, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. You, com- you know, if you pair it up with some decent imagery, you're 90% of the way there, but you know, you can do it wrong too. There's, that's a whole other conversation, but right, so, right. so we, we have this and because, you know, uh, Brent started making, you know, flying theater films back in the early 2010s. I think, yeah, they started doing two flying films for Chinese parks, the Happy Valley OTC parks in oh, yeah. 2009 or 10. And, and I can't remember who did the mechanic. Those were not dynamic attractions, mechanics, but we work with dynamic and other projects. And anyway, right. So, uh, one of the real key ingredients to success for that though, was the client, you know, the, uh, uh, the Griffin family that owns, you know, Miner's Landing and Pier 57 and they built the giant wheel and did, did so well with it. Right. They're like, Hey, let's, Seattle. Keep, let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, uh, and Kyle in particular, one of the sons who is kind of, you know, running the, you know, the business day to day, he's a huge, huge Disney fan. He named his first child Walt. Um, Oh and wow! He, he met us at IAPA a couple of years before the thing opened, and you know said, "Listen, I want to do flying films, and you know I love Soren, and you guys have done flying films before, and I want to make this as good as it can be." And that was the thing. Every time we came up with a, you know, a set of options, like, "All right, well, for the projection system, we can do you know traditional projectors, or we can go laser, and that's going to save you money in the long run. It's going to cost more up front. You know, it's going to be you know hundred thousand dollars for this system versus." 30 or 50 for this. And it was always the better one. I don't care how much it costs, go with the better one. So he was committed to making this as good as it could wow. be. And on top of just wanting to do a cool flying film, he really wanted to do a full narrative experience. So not just like, here's a movie, watch it go. Like, I want to tell right. a story here and I want to celebrate, you know, the traditional beauty of the state and the Native American heritage. And because I think he's, I'm not sure what percentage of you know, he's got some Native American blood in him as well. See. So, you know, and it was a challenge because, again, it's a very small building, very, you know, it's a national landmark. So how the building had to be taken apart to bring the ride system in, we had to be very careful. Like, you know, the pilings under the pier, you couldn't just reinforce them. Everything had to go by, you know, certain architecturally significant building codes and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, right. so, um, you know, so again, money was kind of no object and that's, you almost never get that. Usually it's, you know, well, we can't afford that. So there was no value engineering in this thing. And every time we came up with new ideas, they were like, let's do it. Let's just do it. Oh, well, let's put a fog screen in the pre-show. Yeah, do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, and you know, when it came time to doing the animatronics, you know, like the masks in the pre-show, there was no question. We were, we were only going to Garner Hall. Like that was it. I mean, they were already nice. talking to Garner about something else anyway, but they were like, no, we're not getting some crappy budget animatronics. Like Garner Holt's doing all the animatronics. So it was, it was a dream client. I mean, he was just, uh, he was, it was, it was amazing. Just such a blast. But, um, but again, when all parties have that commitment from the client on down, like we want to make this as good as we can, that's when you get the magic, you know? So it all comes together and everybody on that team. I mean, every, you know, 
Um, Viesi Music, who wrote the score for it. I mean, they killed it. They're so good. I mean, we work with them. So right. Um, GP Color, who did all the wallpaper treatments. They have this patented UV uh, wallpaper system. So, you know, again, <clears> when you go into the theater, we're supposed to be outdoors at night. And, you know, the it's, nice. it's a black sky. But the lighting of the sunset, you know, the dusk lighting and the, and the, on the horizon and all the stars, those are all, you know, hit with black light and they become, you know, they produce illumination. It's just so great. And the pine tree scenic. And I mean, it's just like everything came together so beautifully. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it was just, you know, we, we just had the chance to bring our a game. And so everybody brought their a game, you know, I mean, it just, it worked out. Um, you know, I tell people too, like Super 78 has developed our own kind of VR based previous system called Mushroom. You know, it's an Oculus headset and you put it on. And so as soon as we start a project now, we bring in all the models, the ride system, the theater building, everything into, you know, this 3D environment. So as we're developing the attraction, you know, we're kind of virtually riding it all the time. Oh, and wow. So it was, it was kind of strange because, you know, as the, as the attraction got built up and, you know, more details were brought in. When we finally got up to media day and I got to ride the attraction for the first time, it was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like all of it, it was exactly the same. Like there was That's no cool. surprises. So, you know, and again, in the development process, like at one point we're like, oh, damn, that tree branch is actually going to you know, hit the projection cone or that architectural <laughs> beam is going to have to move. So by the time it opened, it was perfect. I mean, it just, that's amazing. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of VR, AR or MR mixed reality being used to develop, whether it be a theme park attraction or even for like a big civil project or building project or, you know, construction or whatnot, you know, it's becoming more and more valuable and that's really cool to kind of hear from someone that was a part of this of this project how useful it was and how you were you know in a way not not surprised at all when you wrote it for the first time because you knew exactly what to expect because it was right. so well modeled exactly. you know in a, in a kind of virtual 3d way you know well beyond just a flat computer screen like what traditionally what's been going on for the past 30 years you know for developing rides which has been great you know and that's been a huge we step forward, you know, starting with again back, say the 1980s or so, when coasters and rides started to get developed via via computer, CAD, yep. CAD and stuff. That was a huge step forward and whatnot. But now going with with the augmented reality and virtual reality and whatnot, that's a huge step too. That's awesome. And I didn't even think about it, you know. Yeah, it's on a pier and think about, it. oh yeah, being on a pier, how that can be challenging, historic building. But you know, you make you know with all your description. Thank you for describing all of that. Sure. You make me want to go back to Washington and experience it again <laughs> and really kind of look for, a, because I don't, I mean, this was over four years ago at this point. I think this was summer of 2017. And I just remember loving the ride, but I don't remember specifics. Of, I remember the ride system feeling sure. great. The visuals now makes sense. The laser projection, because I have been to some of the laser IMAX theaters. I'm a huge IMAX fan for going to see feature films and IMAX or even yeah. science films at museums. And IMAX, I just love IMAX so much when it's done well. The real IMAX, not the fake IMAX they have. Exactly. I do not. That That is, yeah, don't get me started on that. I'm going to say some things I don't want to say. But anyway, <laughs> so but the real IMAX and the laser projection like they have at Universal in Hollywood and CityWalk there, yep. the State. oh my God, that's so well done. I've seen so many movies there back when I lived in California. So I can imagine laser projection 
you know, for, for the flying theater for Wings of Washington. I remember how crisp the visuals were. And yeah, I remember, yeah, I, I don't remember much about the soundtrack, but just, I remember how everything came together in an experience and no thing against Disney. I do like Disney, I'll, you know, their attraction story is amazing, but it came together in an experience that just felt like Soarin' 2.0. It really, that's what it felt like to me. Well, thank you. So yeah. you got, and, and so the no, the no you know, the, like the John Hammond spare no expense, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that, that makes sense because, you know, doing higher quality, this higher quality, that best composer, you know, yeah. It, clearly it all came, came together, you know, and, and I see this in other areas too. I mean, there were jokes going around when Velocicoaster opened because I, you know, I, again, I love Velocicoaster, my number one coaster now. And I, <laughs> I felt, I hate to use the word validated, but just real quick with you, Robert, when David and Iva came out for this meetup that we did and all the other, we had a whole bunch of friends, of course, and and, and fans of the podcast and, and, and whatnot that joined us for that 23 riders on the train. And uh, I think there were maybe eight people on that train for that, that meetup ride that we did with all the shirts on and everything, where that was their first ride ever on the ride. He's like, I said something along the lines of, oh, my God, I've never had a reaction to the ride like this. New number one. You know, he's freaking out. New number one. And then we had people in the back of the train, some other people that joined us for the meetup. And they're like, new number one. And so, and then, you know, that became a huge focus for us to rewrite that, which we got some rewrites on. So, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a huge thing with the, the emotion and everything. So, Absolutely. you know, but any, anyways, but, um, you know, so for, for me, you know, with Velocicoaster, everyone has been so responsive to it as I starting to say there. And there were the memes again, good, good fun. And I, I know universal, you know, PR team, it was an amazing PR team. Mm. Their sense of humor is incredible. How they were reacting very positively to these things where people were putting out memes about John Hammond, spare no expense. You get the Velocicoaster. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and yeah. And so, I mean, you guys were what, you know, and it wasn't your money. It was your client's money there at, at Miner's Landing. But, you know, sparing no expense there, but Universal with their success with Potter and everything else they're doing, they're on fire. I they mean, are, who else is building are. a new park now? And, you know, and they, I'm not going to say they're sparing no expense, like where they have no budget, you know, it's no limits. But it's almost like that. And the things that we're hearing about with Epic Universe that are coming, that Disney's, uh, excuse me, that's <laughs> a Universal's budget is so high that, you know, the things that they're doing that they've already done, say at Islands or, or um, the board spectacular, by the way, is the most amazing stunt shot ever. I keep hearing. Yeah. I know. I'm shocked. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. So again, I don't know what the budget was for that, but it is. It, I mean, you you've got to go see that because I know I you're do. into the riot film stuff and all that. Sure. The yep, the yep. the screen that they use there, it is incredible. It makes me want every single movie theater to, do <laughs> to have that technology. A, a, not because it's not projected. <laughs> it's a gigantic. I don't know if it's OLED, probably not OLED, but LCD, it's a gigantic, yeah, it's insane. Um, but, but anyway, and the resolution on it is incredible. But, you know, so they've been spending a lot of money on these attractions and, you know, they, they have the budget for it because they've got the, they're bringing in the ticket sales and the pass holder sales like nobody's business. So my point with all that being, not to get on a universal tangent, is when the budget, when you have almost no budget or I just have a lot of money you can spend, you can do amazing things. I mean, it's not, it's nothing special there. It's something yep. surprising, 
Sure, so sure. it doesn't surprise me that, you know, Wings Over Washington was like that because it was such a primo experience. And and I, I have I brought it up. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, Wings Over Washington, but I'll mention it again. Um, you. Not just because you're here, Robert, but <laughs> any of our listeners, if you like flying theaters at all, and if you're going to be in Seattle or you can have a stop over there, get down to the waterfront there in Seattle, Miner's Landing. Which you can't miss it. It's right where the... The uh, this, the big uh, wheel there is. Well, I don't forget what they call the one in one in Seattle. I think it's the Seattle Eye or the or no no the great, no, the, no 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 no. I'm sorry, the, the Great Seattle Wheel. I think it's Great the, Seattle the Wheel. Great okay, Seattle. yeah, can't remember. I know, yeah, I can't remember all the names of these ones. But um, anyway, but yeah, so that the you know the big gigantic wheel, you know, basically Ferris wheel they have there, enclosed capsule capsules. Um, it's right next to that. It's part of that same complex and you got to go check it out. It's an amazing flying theater. So well, thank you so much. But, you really know, appreciate no, it. Absolutely. So, so with that said, is Wings Over Washington the project that you've been involved with that you're most proud of at Super 78 or is there something else? Oh, wow. Gosh, <laughs> that's another tough one. To, I mean, I think, I think all of us at the company would say Wings is definitely one of our highlight attractions. There's, nice. there's no question. I mean, flying theaters are kind of one of our core business lines and you know, we're doing several of them right now. Um, so I think, I think, I mean, it was, it was a great experience, you know, in and of itself. And it's also, I think helped us get a lot of new work, which is good. So, um, so that's obviously going to be kind of, you know, kind of, um, High on high on my list. I mean, I'm always going to have a soft spot for the first attraction that I worked on that got built, which is the Forbidden Caves, this little immersion tunnel we did for uh, Babajan Land in Belgium. Oh, nice! And uh, you know, it's 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 pretty modest and um, whatever. But you know, it was the first time I was able to like ride a ride and think, "Wow, I I, I was I was part of this. Like that's nuts." Um, and, uh, you know, because it was a kind of a smaller project, it had a fair amount of creative freedom on that one, too. So, you know, really got to kind of dive in. And I learned a ton doing that, too. That was super important because we didn't just do the ride. We got to do a little mini area development around there. You know, they rethemed this little part of the park as Adventure Valley. And um, so, I mean, I'll just always remember it fondly just because it was such a, like, a great, real, like, okay, this is it. This is for real. I'm learning really how you do this kind of thing. Um, right. So, yeah, so there's that, but I'm, I'm trying to think of like others. I mean, I got to say we, we did a, um, so when I first started working there, we were in the middle of developing the SpongeBob 4D attraction we did for Moody Gardens in Galveston, Texas. The, um, uh, oh gosh, what is the official name oh, of that? Moody Gardens. I love Moody Gardens. Oh yeah. I've been yeah. there several times. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. It's a great place. Yeah. Such a yeah. neat place. Oh, yeah. So unique. Yeah. I mean, it's really one of a kind. Anyway, oh, so yeah. But when they when they installed SpongeBob, they knew it's for a limited amount of time. So we're going to retheme this thing, um, you know, this Geppetto experience uh, at some point down the road. So the time mm. had come to redo it, and we did a whole new overlay of uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. You know, taking the Jules Verne Nautilus story, but turning it into this kind of Western steampunk thing, and it's like the sequel almost, the continuing adventures of the Nautilus. It's this upgraded thing, and. Um, it's a it's it's a beautiful attraction. So I really I just want to give a big shout out to the art direction. Her, her name is Morgan Kiesling at the time. Uh, she's no longer with the company. She's now at Disney, but uh, kind of ran the visual development of that whole attraction. And it's gorgeous. I mean, we get, nice. got to do a whole new look for the town out front and retheming the Nautilus and all the props and posters and art on the walls. I mean, it's stunning. Um, 
So I got to say, pretty proud of that one too. Um, again, mainly because of all the other great work other people did. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, it's a team effort. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and uh, look, I'm sure everybody in the business who you've talked to has said the same thing. Nobody takes credit for any single. I mean, there's so many yeah. people involved in making attractions work. And that's part of the great thing about it. Like, you just get so many different perspectives and ideas and talents and whatever. And it just, you know, it comes together in these, you know, amazing ways. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say, you know, off the top of my head, those are, those are three that I think are, you know, kind of standouts for me, but yeah, well, yeah they're Absolutely. all our children. We love them all. You know, they're all, we're, we're proud of all. They're all your kids, you know, of yeah, course. So yeah. I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So uh, the uh, forbidden caves, that's the one you mentioned, right? Yeah. Um, so immersion tunnel. So is that similar to say like uh, the King Kong 360 ride or part of, Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. I should have I should have explained that a little better. Yeah. So basically, when you're in a kind of a tram thing and you go into your sandwich between two screens, right. you're getting this full kind of quote unquote immersion on, on both sides. Um, the the system that is used in Babajan land and also in movie park Germany, they, they had done the first the world's first immersion tunnel, Super 78 did called the Lost Temple. And in that case, it's kind of a big kind of, uh, shoe, uh, horseshoe shaped screen. So you get the full wrap around you know 270 degrees but the vehicle sort of rides in you have your kind of ride experience and then it backs out so it's a little uh -oh. bit of a challenge story-wise how do you you know explain all right we're going forwards and then at some point we have to go backwards whereas with king con 360 you drive through it so you're getting this incredible corridor of screens but there's no kind of menu right. done. um so now, now, of course, I you know even though it's, these are these are even older rides at this point, not brand new. Maybe I, I realize there's certain things you can say or not say. But was Super Seventy Eight involved with any of the immersion tunnel rides at Universal and at their parks? No, no, no. no, no we've only done the couple uh, these two parks or um, uh, two attractions for these uh, parkos. I'm so sorry, Parcus Reunidos. Is that, I think the Spanish oh, yeah, company yeah, yeah, that yeah. owns that right, chain. Yeah, right, yeah. right, um, right. We've done work with Universal on some things, but not on their version. But not that. Okay, yeah. Because I, I have been on the King Kong 360. I've been on uh, Kong Skull Island and Island's Adventure and, and Fast yeah. and Furious, both, both Fast and Furious. And it's interesting, you know, because Fast and Furious is, is panned. Not, not the movie. The movies are fantastic. But the rides, you know, those tram rides. They're, they're okay, in my opinion, they're okay. But for whatever reason, um, and I'm not going to compare King Kong 360 because that's an older ride, older part of the tram ride. But comparing Skull Island at Islands, yeah. which I've written also more recently, that one is, it, it's like, it's the same technology, but it's just done in a much better package, cohesive package than Fast and the Furious. And just how a lot of it is not, you're not stimulating fast movement like how Fast and the Furious is. Yep. It's more about, you know, King Kong and, and the T-Rex and the fighting each other and then you start to fall and it's just, it's more realistic in that regard. And then, you know, I, I love practical effects too that the King Kong animatronic at the end of that ride is oh, unbelievable. So, so, so amazing. Yeah. So yeah. amazing. Yeah. But anyway, but that's, that's another story. So you guys were involved that. <laughs> got it, got it. But yeah, immersion tunnels, but point being, yeah, I mean, I'm, planning on going back to Europe next year and, and I want to get to some parks and I, movie park Germany is actually one of the ones I may get to. Um, Definitely and, check out uh, Lost I, Temple. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about that. Cause I, I do, I do think those rides can be good. Absolutely. So, well, well, thanks for sharing some of your experience in super 78. That sounds really fun. That's awesome that you get to work in your passion. Most people don't get to do that. So you're, you're fortunate and you know, you, you know, it's awesome.
No, I consider myself incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky that I've to do this. Yeah, yeah. And that's awesome. I I love seeing that you don't take it for granted. You see it as being fortunate. That's great. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'll say too, I mean, uh, you know, I, I didn't start my dream career until after I turned 50. So I tell young kids, never give, if you really want to do something, never think it's, never say it's too late. It's never too late. Love it. I love that. I lo- and I love, you know, see, see stories like that or hear stories about like, like that periodically, you know, like a, a seven year old grandmother that goes to college. And you know, so, <laughs> exactly. but, but, but this isn't quite that extreme, but I, I love it that, you know, your kind of middle of your life is when you started working in theme parks, because, you know, one of the things we do talk about, you know, you know, not that we're able to talk directly with our audience, you know, real time, but we talk to our audience or give advice because a number of, of people that listen to this podcast are younger people, you know, kids, teenagers, and, and it goes through enthusiasts, theme park enthusiasts. And, you know, the, the big dream, I've got friends that are in their 20s that are changing careers to, to line themselves to where they can travel more. Like yep. I, you know, yep. for example, I have travel for work so you can go to parks, you know, where you don't have to spend and pay for the airfare yourself. You know, you're doing your work there, of course, not avoiding your work, but on the weekends or, you know, when you have some free time or you take vacation, you go to the parks. That's what exactly. I've done. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so forth. And, but so our younger audience, you know, they're, they're anxious, you know, you know, it's so funny. I don't know about you, but for me, I had a lot more anxiousness and anxiety in the early part of my life when my whole life was ahead of me. <laughs> then I am now in my forties, you know, it's kind of ironic because you know how we, we grow as people and be able to deal with anxiety better. Like we talked about earlier, but anyways, I had lots of anxiety, you know, when I was in my twenties about what my career was going to be. So I know that some of our audience members, the younger ones are like, how can I get a career where I can travel? You know, cause I've, I've talked to people offline about this, and, you know, young enthusiasts. And, and I think that's a good kind of uh, uh, a message that you have there is you know, hey, even if these young enthusiasts, if you don't find that dream career, you know, look at Robert. He wasn't until 50 that he found that dream career and he's really happy with it. And so, you know, you know, you don't necessarily get it early on, but maybe eventually you'll get it, you know. So, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, yeah, the old adage if you don't succeed at first, try, try again. So, you know, there for you sure. go. So, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so now that we've talked about Super 78, the, the, the last kind of topic related to you specifically that I'd like to touch upon here with, a, with another question is, is the season pass, you know, and you've talked about a few anecdotes here and there, but you know, having, and I, again, I've only been listening to you guys since about 2017 and I've listened to a few back episodes, certainly the fake theme park ones. I, I've listened to those multiple <laughs> times. I've played the first and I've listened to a few others, but you guys have a huge back catalog and, you know, I listen to so many podcasts, I've not had a chance to listen to everything in the back catalog. Oh, yeah. So sure. I don't know some of the things you guys have done. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what have been some of your favorite moments in terms of covering the theme park industry? It could be a trips or, or whatnot, you know, working, you know, with with Doug and Brent on the season pass. Sure, sure. Uh, that's a great question. Um, well, the the uh, after the first interview I did with them, where we just kind of talked about thrill ride and all that stuff, um, a few weeks went by and Doug called me up and said, Hey, listen, we're, um, we're going to be interviewing Marty Croft. Would you like to join? I'm like, heck yeah. Uh, so yes, of course, Marty Croft. I'm dying to talk to Marty Croft. I mean, I grew up watching Saturday morning TV with said Marty Croft stuff. So, um, that was, that was incredible. I mean, right off the bat, like the first guest that I got to help talk to, on the season pass was one of my absolute idols who we've subsequently done um, 
some development work with. Now it hasn't come to anything yet, but you never know. You never know. Stay tuned. Anyway, but they're they're amazing, and and you know, obviously, Croft doing a lot of work now with Amazon and all that other stuff. Whatever. That right. was an amazing interview. Um, some of my favorite season pass episodes have absolutely nothing to do with me. There is a uh, a two parter that is all about the development of Men in Black: The Ride with the entire Thinkwell group, you know, Dave Cobb and a bunch of other people. And I tell people all the time, that is a masterclass in themed entertainment design. Like listen to those four hours and you're going to learn so much about how many different, you know, um, uh, professional skills and all these things that go together in terms of making this, you know, amazing attraction. Also happens to be one of my favorite dark rides ever. So, um, but it's, it's right. just so, I mean, you know, again, as you were saying, the back catalog of season pass episodes, it's like a college class in themed entertainment. I mean, there's so many informative things. Uh, Jerry Reese is another interview. Um, again, I wasn't involved in that interview, but, um, you know, he talks about developing the rock and roller coaster, you know, VR, all kinds of stuff. And he's Mystic Manor. I mean, he's, you know, one of the geniuses in the industry and super nice, so informative. And just like you could listen to these people talk for days but you know, on a more personal level, I mean, I think in terms of what, you know, my direct, you know, work with Doug, um, the road trips we've taken uh, have been just insane. I mean, the big wheels on an 80 trip, I think we went to, I don't know, eight or nine parks in seven days and, um, you know, talked to tons of different people. And then we had a long trip to Dollywood one year, which was amazing. I'd never been, and I'd never been to that part of the country before seeing the Smoky Mountains wow. and, I mean, Dollywood blew my mind and the go-karts oh, yeah. and pigeon forms. I mean, <laughs> what a great town. <laughs> Dying to get back in that. And Lightning Rod, too. I've not been on Lightning Rod. I'm like, right. Ah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's it's, you know, and you know, Carowinds. I mean, all our all our trips on the road where we're doing live interviews in the parks. I mean, those have got to rank as some of my favorites. Um, they're just so great. I remember the first big trip I took with them, we went to uh Bush Gardens. And, and again, this was not too terribly long after the podcast started, maybe three or four years. And so Doug had told some people on the show, like, hey, you know, we're going to be at Bush Gardens. If any of you listeners want to come out and just meet us or whatever, and a handful of people showed up. But this one fellow, oh, and I can't remember, it was Mark, I think it was his name, really nice young guy, came up. He was in tears. He was shaking. He was so like... Doug Barnes. Oh my gosh. I get to meet Doug Barnes. It was so great. It was just awesome to see. It was really neat. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, Oh, Knott's Berry farm. Like we were at the Knott's preserved book event. This is, goes way back when um, uh, Chris Merritt and um, Eric Linkswaller, the, the, the historian at Knott's anyway, they've written a book all about Knott's history. And so they yeah. had this really fun media event, Bob Gurr, Tony Baxter. Oh, wow. Um, of course, Chris Merritt was there. Um, uh, oh, Raleigh Crump's son. What's his name? Uh, dang it. I'm sorry. Kids get late. I'm getting tired. Anyway, it was this <laughs> okay. amazing group of people. And we're all sitting around outside at Knott's in front of the Birdcage Theater. And I had one of those like out-of-body moments where I kind of like stepped back. And I'm like, there's Tony Baxter. There's Bob Gurr. There's Raleigh Crump. And we're sitting here talking Knott's history. I'm like, how did I get <laughs> right this right is real? this is real life like it was it was nuts it was nuts so that that was definitely a, a, a strong highlight um gosh i don't know i mean again like i learned so much about themed entertainment with the season pass before 
even starting work. I mean, it was, I, I wouldn't have the career I have now if it wasn't for Doug and the season pass. I mean, that's, this is it. That's the way it is. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I, I definitely can relate to what you're saying there, having listened to the episodes that I have listened to, because season pass is very different. It's not really a news podcast. Like that's what Coastal Radio is fantastic yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. they it's cover the current and, and really well. Yeah, yeah. And in loop, in loop, kind of talks about that too. Although they focus more on what they're personally doing, it's interesting and all that. But you guys, it's more about, like you said, you know, almost like a taking a class in in, in theme parks and creating theme parks because the interviews you guys do are so profound. You, the people you've been able to get get connected with, you know, like Tony Baxter you know, Bob Gurr and, and, you know, multiple, the, the multiple part Tony Baxter interview you guys did that, that was incredible. And I'm a big fan of haunts and horrors. I know you guys are. Oh yeah. And so, you know, getting involved with uh, midsummer scream with Rick, <laughs> you know, and some of the stuff Doug's done there and just hearing some of that stuff. Cause I have not attended. I want to go to midsummer scream maybe one of these years. Um, and, and just, you know, and then, and then of course, Jeff Tucker with that side with knots and, and not scary farm and things he've done with that yeah. invitation to terror, by the way, which is this new show this year was incredible. Oh, really? Some nice. of the best nice. peppers ghost I've ever seen. They've upgraded oh, awesome. the projectors in the mystery lodge. It's not eighties tech anymore. Like it was <laughs> mystery lodge originally. It, it, the work that they did there in the story, it's a scary show. It was awesome. freaky. Oh, that's and there's great. some live actors involved. I'm sure they're going to do it again next year or something di- different or whatnot, but it was fantastic. Jeff was did a great job and he took us backstage and gave us a tour at the end. And so you got to meet Jeff in person and he's so, nice. so gracious host. And, you know, Jeff's awesome. So, but anyways, you, you know, it's been great hearing Jeff on your show. And, but yeah, the people you get to talk to and the depth that you guys go into. Um, again, I used to live in the Bay Area. And so the coverage that you guys have had for the, the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, sure. and I, did, I didn't know. I mean, all, I knew they did. I've done the daytime tours. I've done that years before I listened to season pass and I knew they did like nighttime tours, you know, with candles and whatnot, but I had no idea they've been getting more into themed entertainment because of they have new management that is experienced yep. in themed entertainment, which is awesome. What you guys talked about. And I just went with my friend Yaz and, and her fiance, Alan, good friends of mine in California. I was out there for work and we did, it was in September. So it was during when they do the Halloween and yeah, the, the, the way they blend the house at night which is creepy super creepy with the special effects but not in a cheesy or hokey way yep you know this is not a bill tracy dark ride or something like that it you know it is and they have to respect the house they can't nail things down they have to be very careful historic and just and going in the basement and places i'd never been there just they do it so well and i remember hearing about some tidbits of it when you guys covered it a few years ago and like yeah, and because sure. of that episode i'm like i have to go do this because nice. of your wings over washington episode i've got to go do that so yeah i mean i've learned about theme parks been inspired by you guys but also just been like oh because of what i heard on your show i gotta go check it out sure, sure and sure. so you know and i so and again you guys are very different than what we do but i encourage our listeners if you guys want to learn about theme park history about the people that make these attractions happen and how they did it and to learn about unique attractions, things that are not just in the theme parks, but just themed entertainment in general, the season passes, where it's at, you know, you guys, you know, again, you're not super serious. You do fun interviews they are animated. There's, you know, there's jokes and there's good discussions. And and again, so thank you for sharing some of those moments. That's awesome. Oh, of course, of course. And I I really, I'm so thankful you guys are listeners or whatever. And, you know, I just got to say one more time. I mean, your season pass is Doug's baby. He, he came up with that on his own. 
And he was always, I mean, it's his ethos about the show. Like we start off, he, he, we, he starts off every show, like tell us about how you got into the business and that's it. We have no planning. He's like, I want to hear their stories. I want to hear what they bring to the table. Like that's, that's always been kind of the, the reason for being for the season pass. And uh, I, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's more fun for us too. We just love to hear this stuff, you know, we sit back and relax and listen, you know? So. Oh, absolutely. I, I can tell listening to you guys, that you guys are enjoying it. You're having fun. Cause yeah, I mean, you're, you're just like, I enjoy all these interviews that I do because I'm, I'm talking about things that I love and I find interesting. Exactly. About. <laughs> so same with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so just a couple very last questions, things we always ask. So uh, kind of a general kind of, opportunity for you to, you know, given the scope, you understand we're about, you know, fighting fear and fighting anxiety and really about theme park therapy. That's what our podcast is about. (laughs) So that's our mission. So given that mission and things, you know, that, you know, you've said maybe things you've thought of that you wanted to say, you haven't shared yet. Is there any last advice you'd like to share with our listeners, with our audience? Um, I guess that, you know, I mean, it's certainly the last year and a half has been super challenging for everybody. And, you know, we are all going through a lot of fear and anxiety and, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's tough. I mean, I think we, we, for those of us who are sort of getting through it on a day-to-day basis, we're not recognizing that this is constant undercurrent of anxiety and like, it's just always there. We're not even aware of it anymore. And being able to recognize that and say, you know, it's okay that I'm not feeling okay. And I need to address that um, is, is, is a perfectly healthy and good thing to do. And, you know, theme parks and friends, man, that's a great way to like get beyond some of those, those feelings of anxiety. And I know, you know, theme parks are kind of a rough thing in a pandemic, right? They're outdoors. They're with other people. There's a, there's some challenges to that sort of thing. And, you know, we do have to continue to enjoy our hobby as safely as we can. But, um, you know, I've been back to some parks in the last you know few months and, Boy, it feels good. I got to tell you, it really, and we need that escapism. We need that getaway, that kind of release valve on the pressure cooker of life. You know, it's like I always say in the, in the forward to the roller coaster book. I mean, you know, screaming helps. <laughs> screaming is purging. <laughs> you know, you're able to like, Wah! you know, you, it's a release. And, um, you know, that's, that's, there's, I think there are, there are probably measurable health benefits to going to theme parks if you enjoy them. You know what I mean? Like between the yes. physical, just that you're walking around, you're burning off calories and the energy you're, you know, expending, just having fun. Like that's all good, man. It's all good. It's an expensive hobby, but you know, when you can afford it and you can find the way to, you know, do it, do it. <laughs> oh, good advice there. Yeah, it can be an expensive hobby, especially the travel aspect of it. But yeah, like you said, there's the physical exercise. You know, we talked about the endorphins, the adrenaline, of course, the being able to, you know, get away from, and we need this more now than ever, to your point, you know, the immersion in parks and just, you know, not thinking about our problems, getting away from stress, and, you know, fighting fear and, and, and fighting anxiety and training our, our minds to be able to deal with that and all this stuff. It's, it's great. It's really good stuff. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you've been able to get back to the parks. I took a break from the parks last year um, and finally started going back to them late last year into early this year when the vaccines and all that were coming out and whatnot. And uh, it's been, it's been great being back. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, no, thank you. That's, that's good advice there. And, uh, you know, certainly. So thank you. And so the last thing I'd like to ask you to do um, because again, we like to help, help people promote and I've already kind of helped, you know, certainly you've been talking about, I haven't talked about season past, but 
but certainly it, you know, beyond just talking about what they are and, and how great they are. Uh, if you could just, you know, kind of, kind of summarize and share with our listeners, you know, for all the things you're involved with, you know, the websites and how people can find the social media and how people can get access to these things. Sure, sure. So, of course, um, Season Pass, if you go to the website, it's seasonpasspodcast.com. Uh, we have the entire archive library of all the prior episodes there. Um, so it's a great place to start digging deep. Um, uh, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm the only social media I'm really active on right now is Twitter. I, I deactivated my Facebook account because I think they're evil and I'm done with Facebook. Yeah, so, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I know it's around. People do. I, I Look, if people are happy using it, it's fine. It's just I was I was done. So whatever. Oh, I understand. Uh, so, but if it's my, my handle on thrill or on Twitter is thrillride.com without the dot, because somebody else already got thrill right, I think. Um, <laughs> and I did. So, <laughs> uh, and of course, super 78, if you want to find out more about what's going on there, it's a super 78.com. Uh, you can check out the website there. Um, I did early. I was not a big YouTube watcher until well, the last few years, maybe even two or three years ago. And I did start getting involved, subscribing to some vloggers and, you know, people who travel around and, and two in particular is Adam the Woo and Jacob the Carpetbagger. Uh, they do theme parks, but they do other kinds of things as well. And I really started enjoying their content, especially the non-theme park content, you know, where they just go, you know, see interesting little you know, side roads or whatever. Regardless, at some point, I suddenly thought, you know, and this is getting just as the pandemic was starting to heat up, um, I thought, you know what? I kind of like this vlog idea. You know, maybe just because GoPros are so inexpensive, let me go out, just shoot some stuff. I, there was just something like I like editing. Uh, I wrote some music for a while, did some music editing, and <clears throat> certainly learned more about movie editing at work and whatever. And, you know, iMovie, it's free with the Mac. I'm like, let me just mess around a little bit. So long story short, I started this YouTube channel. It's been up for a little over a year. I've only got like 53 episodes or something. Um, but I just thought, you know, I'm just going to do this for as long as I enjoy it. And then if I stop enjoying it, I'll stop doing it. But um, if you go to YouTube and search for either my name, Robert Coker, or going places, doing things. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of parky things, but you know, museums and hikes and whatever. Anyway, if you're interested, you can check that out on YouTube. Um, that's certainly uh, something I'm enjoying doing. And uh, you know, recently went to castle park at Riverside you know, Bud Hurlbut's oh, yeah. park that he built um, and uh, rode the mountain coaster up at Big Bear a few weeks for a few months back. Anyway, so, yeah, so that's that's another little thing I'm doing right now. Um, it's, it's almost like an adventure blog. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little personal yeah. adventure blog. blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. That's all the stuff. Okay. Doing. Oh, and then, of course, if you go to robertcoker.com, there is, it's just kind of a series of links to, you can get to the season pass there, you can get to my Twitter feed, you can get to the YouTube videos. Um, this music thing that I did, this audio am, animatron X, it's, it's a weird little side project I had for a while. Anyway, all the links are there if you go to robertcoker.com. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Robert. Appreciate sharing all that and appreciate your time today. And it's great talking to you and just hearing your stories and kind of sharing with each other. You know, it's great talking to a fellow coaster enthusiast that also loves theme parks and just has all the experience and all, you know, I love the, some of the stories you told that Monica Lewinsky, I won't forget that one. That's, that's <laughs> fantastic. So well, thank you for your time. Thank you. So oh, of much. course it was my great pleasure. No, I, again, I can nerd out and talk about this stuff for hours on it. So this was a real, real fun for me. Thank you.
Awesome. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.